it's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy, with your hosts, Isaac, Eric, Steve, Sean, and Caleb. Listen in as they discuss the 1977 film, Star Wars. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, those in between and unaffiliated to Novice uh presents Star Wars. Welcome back. And here we are today. The Jedi Council has reassembled and we're doing Star Wars 1977. Gentlemen, how are all of you doing currently? Oh, I'm glad to be back in the old folks' home. Be glad to be back. Oh, wow. Okay. Obi-Wan, remember? <laughs> remember, that's what he called it. Attack of the clones. Oh, I thought you meant us three with no, the old folks. No. <laughs> Just because I always thought it was funny that he, he called it that. Do they have old folks' homes in Star Wars? That's a good question. Yeah, that's a good I mean, we saw that Obi-Wan was just living in like a hut on Tatooine, so maybe not. But uh, yeah, here we are. We're reassembled for some more Star Wars. And finally, after Sean's uh, debacle of getting us to do the prequels first. I'm sorry. Uh, we're here for the good stuff. <laughs> wasn't a debacle that was fine but the problem is here is that we're talking about fucking star wars i mean what what the fuck what are we gonna say about star wars that's different that hasn't been said in media you know 10 million times already this is what's been keeping me up at night for the past year (laughs) me too (laughs) well not the year but yeah I have no idea what I'm going to say about this. I mean, I I, I I think that some part of me is like sort of have a nostalgia boner about this. But when I watch it as a movie, all I can think about it is Sean in 2023 or 2022 or 2020. It, it doesn't replace the Sean that watched it in like, I think maybe 1979 or something like that when it was really 77 well it came out in 77 but i remember seeing it when i was older than that i must have been older than that and i'm not talking about the re-release in like the 90s i'm talking about like a re-release in chicago that uh my mom took me to see and i remember there was a fence in front of the in front of the screen to prevent people from climbing over uh yeah i mean what are you gonna say about it you know what i mean yeah no i i definitely get that and i've been i watched it twice for this discussion and uh yeah both times i was like i still don't really know what exactly it's gonna come out to say about this during this discussion but i guess the only way to figure it out is just by doing it so no i've had zero worries about this and have also given it very little forethought smart approach i like that 
Um, to the checklist. <laughs> so we'll start at top. I know this will be difficult, gentlemen, but let's let's try. Let's well, obviously we're all giving our effort here, but just like let's 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 think of stuff. So, Sean, um, what are your initial thoughts on Star Wars released in 1977? Well, I was two at the time, but I just explained it. Like my mom <laughs> took me to it, and you know I enjoyed it. I knew who Luke Luke Skywalker was. Um, I collected the toys when I was a kid. Well, I didn't collect them. Now I collect shit. Back then, I was just gifted them for, like, Easter, Christmas, birthday, whatever. It's probably the biggest movie growing up that affected me the most. I mean, if you talk to people that are a little bit younger than me, I think they would say things like um, the never-ending story. Uh, is that a that's a movie, right? You know who I'm talking about, right? I don't. And depending on what age you're talking about, I don't know if they'd say never-ending story. But but I'm talking about people a little bit younger than us. And well, wait, oh, see, uh, I would say kids who came up in the '90s might or late, very late '80s might have more of a thing for never-ending story. Well, just uh, getting back to the episode a little bit, I was going to ask Sean: Did you have any recent, uh, like, on your recent viewing? Do you feel like you discover anything new, or is it one of those movies that you've seen so many times that it's just kind of you know all the beats and it is what it is? You're right. I know all the beats and it is what it is. But you know what? I haven't watched this movie in like Blu-ray or 4K. Mm. Earlier today, I was watching Clue, and I was. You know, looking at all these things that I didn't see before, um, and Clue isn't, of course, an action movie or a movie with a lot of uh, special effects. But uh, this movie, I've seen it. So much. I think I've seen it more than Clue. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but did you watch the 4K version this time, Sean? I'm watching it right now, and that's it. I didn't ha- I didn't watch it for this. I mean, I know the fucking movie by heart, basically. No, no, no. I understand. I understand. I was just curious no. if you saw because I definitely noticed the difference. Me too. And there, but but even if it, if the difference is fabulous, like how much more would I like this movie seeing it in 4K? Um, it's not going to go away. It's the movie is fine. So, uh, if I may ask, Sean, as I usually do. What is your best thing about this movie? Oh, see, this isn't right. I mean, I mean, I, I the first thing that I'm going to say is nostalgia. Um, I saw this movie as a kid. Um, I got all the toys growing up, and oh man, um, the best growing up now. I don't know if there's a best thing out of it i think i like the fact that there is a good division between the protagonist and the antagonists i mean there's no question there it's almost like an old western and i think that's on purpose and as a kid my favorite was always luke skywalker that's not a gay thing. It's just because I thought he was really cool. Now, being older, I think it's Han Solo um, because he's much more cooler than 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 Luke Skywalker. That's funny. Yeah, I agree with you. When I was growing up, 
uh, Luke Skywalker, I always thought, oh, he's so cool. I couldn't understand why people like Han Solo. But as an adult, it's yeah, it's exact opposite. I Han Solo is the coolest, and not so much about Luke Skywalker anymore. Yeah, yeah, especially in this movie. Yeah, I think Luke improves as the yeah the other two go on and becomes more cool. But yeah, here he's just like the yeah the wide-eyed, bushy-tailed kid, and that's just you know that's more appealing for a child than adults, I think. Yeah, I think so because Luke is pretty much a child with childlike aspirations, where Han Solo is yeah. kind of a you know more of an adultish. So I think children could relate to Luke Skywalker more as opposed to the adults probably for Han Solo. So if you if that's your answer, Sean, uh, then I will ask, what is your worst thing uh, about this film? See, there is no worse thing. I can't say a worse thing. I mean. Part of me says, the fan part of me says C-3PO, but even he's cool in all this. Um, yeah. I think, I don't know the worst thing. I, there is none, actually, about this movie. This is a flawless film, you're saying? It's not <laughs> a flawless film. I don't think so. Because if you look at it as an action film, it actually sort of... It goes down. It, it does plateau as an action film, hmm. but it goes down at one scene. Not at one scene, but at one point in the film. Uh, once there are the Death Star. Um, if you want to like look at it for a chart. I, that's a difficult question, Isaac. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Again, I'm trying. I know it's difficult. But we we have to ask these like you know these questions that really no. you know we, we can't answer. And that's why <laughs> no, you're right. People want to know. The people are demanding. Let's give yeah. the people what they want. Um, I'll let you think on Let's it. Give if, the people air. Sorry, it's okay. I'll let you think on it if you don't mind. I'll I'll put a pin in it for now. I'll come back to you if you can you know think of a a reasonable answer. We'll go on to Steve. Steve, uh, if I may ask, what is uh, you know what what are your thoughts on Star Wars 1977? Um, well, I think for the time, it was uh, just an amazing film. I mean, there was nothing like it in 77. I think sci-fi before that was the 2001 A Space Odyssey, um, Planet of the Apes. Both great films, um, but for a... I was four years old when the movie was released. Uh, so those movies... Well, I was I was vaguely aware of Planet of the Apes, but I wouldn't have liked 2001 A Space Odyssey as a four-year-old. <laughs> but this, this... I mean, I... I, I think I ended up, if memory serves correctly, I think I ended up seeing this on its first theatrical run in 77. I think I saw it eight times. But it's oh, weird wow. because nice. back then, movies stayed in theaters for months. If they were a hot item like Star Wars was, I mean, it, it hung around for the year. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they'd be around for 12 months plus, um, super popular movies. Now it's like a week or two. <laughs> if it's if it's a, if it's a good movie, it might be three or four weeks, but that's it. Uh, but I mean, it was it was at theaters for a long time, and like Sean was mentioning, the toys. I mean, the toys kind of cemented its its firm grasp on my soul. Mm-hmm. I had the uh, you know I tried to get all the action figures. Now at the time, my uh, mother and stepfather were not the wealthiest people. They we lived at apartment paycheck to paycheck, so they really couldn't afford to get me all the toys that I I, I wanted at the mall. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only had a couple. I think I had. I think my first figure, surprisingly, was Han Solo. Still have that one, by the way. Got rid of them nice. all eventually down the line, but I kept my Han Solo, my Boba Fett, but I couldn't get them all. And so I remember just specifically targeting certain ones, like, oh, if I have Han, I have to have Chewie, I have to have R two, I have to have C three. You know. So it was like I couldn't get the um, 
the Death Star uh, guy who did the gun. You know, like I couldn't really <laughs> had no interest in them. those. Those they had them. level. <laughs> they had them, but I had the like the Sand people didn't really care. Jawas, they suck. Uh, but anyways. Uh, the the movie was great. Um, I, I I mean I could still whenever I watch it, rewatch it, and it's that opening scene after the the crawl. Um, which as a four year old, I, I remember not even being able to read the stupid crawl. But after the crawl, then you have the Death Star just blow over your head, chasing after the blockade runner, uh, Star Destroyer. What did I say, Death Star? <laughs> uh, Anyways, uh, that was just an amazing scene. I mean, it it literally was like it was quiet, and then all of a sudden, boom! This thing's just coming over your over your back, over your head, and on the screen. It was great. I mean, there's some great scenes. Um, I enjoyed all the characters. You know, it's funny um, back then, Princess Leia, played played by the late Carrie Fisher. Um, I mean, she was great. And I really, you know, as, as a young boy, I didn't really care about girls at that time or their being heroines, but I thought she did a great job um, as carrying that role as a, you know, a really confident character. I always kind of wanted to know what, what happened in the scene where Vader is interrogating her with the, what was the name of that droid? Interrogation droid. Interrogation droid, right? With the needle, the hypodermic needle. Like, that freaked me out as a kid. Like, what the mm-hmm. fuck? I hated needles. I still hate needles. That may have given me the reason for my hate hatred of needles but i don't know it had so many great great moments and great scenes the only the only thing i would say that really bothers me today about the film is not that it aged poorly which i don't i think it still it still is great i just hate what george lucas did with the re-releases the special editions wait okay added. okay i'm 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 gonna make i know it's not my podcast but i'm gonna <laughs> say Let's put a moratorium on talking about the George Lucas remakes until the towards the end. Is that fair? I agree. I agree with yeah. you. Yeah, we we can save that for yeah. for now. Yeah. Yep. Oh, okay. but keep going, all right. Steve. Uh, we all, I think, have the same opinion about it, and it would just be, yeah, yeah. Oh, unless for Steve, unless it's your worst thing, then otherwise we'll save it for a little bit. No, uh, I will say this. Uh, I I feel like. On rewatching, and maybe it's because I've seen the movie so many times. I mean, I've, I don't even know how many times I've seen it now. Uh, but it does, there are some moments where it slows down a little for me. And I kind of zone out until the next exciting moment. Primarily once Luke, Han, and Leia escape the Death Star. Um, I felt like there's kind of a, a moment where it just kind of, I don't know if it's just the quiet before the storm of where the assault on the Death Star which to me, what, that moment when the, when when the X wings fly in and they go, and there's that air to air or space to space battle with the ships, and that 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 is to me my favorite moment of the whole film. I mean, the music, the John Williams score that ramps up during that whole scene, you know, people getting picked off left and right. Oh, that was great. I mean, I think what the inspiration for Lucas was the battles of World War II with midway battles, you know, with planes and stuff. So it was that was to, to me that's my favorite part of the whole film. Uh, again, disregarding for now the um, special editions. Again, it's a separate, you know, topic. For Unless it's your worst thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what is if if you can think of anything just from 1977 edition? Even though there have been micro changes throughout the years before uh, that, what is your worst thing about the film? Like I said, there's some dips, and 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 um, the whole movie seems to be 
a nice action film, but there are moments where it kind of dips in slowness, and again, I just kind of check out in those those scenes. Um, that's really it. I mean, overall, it's a great film. Yeah, it's perfect. All right, thank you, sir, for that. Um, now, Eric, uh, your initial thoughts for Star Wars of nineteen seventy seven. Two score and six years ago. Jesus Christ. <laughs> God, <laughs> I don't. Uh, you know what? I, I'll just go to sleep. I've now. prepared four thousand words. Um, honestly, I cannot remember the very first time I saw this particular movie in the original trilogy. It's possible it was the the last I saw of the trilogy in my life. I'm not really sure. I'm pretty sure I never saw it at the theater until the re-release in '97. And the first time I saw it probably was on free television at some point because really my earliest Star Wars memories mostly have to do with Empire Strikes Back. How old were you? At which thing? How old were you when you were introduced to Star Wars? It was, in my memory, it was probably 1980. Probably. Uh, That's probably where I got my first... Because I have vague infant memories of being in the cinema for empire um even though i was even young at that time but yeah those would be my first star wars memories but new hope specific i couldn't even tell you i could have been seven i could have been nine no i couldn't have been nine okay well you don't okay okay tell us what you thought though i mean you already answered my question the funny thing with me in this movie in particular is that throughout my entire life, it has jumped around in where I would place it in, in terms of my favorite Star Wars movies. For the most part, when I was a kid, it was always my least favorite. Even though I liked it immensely, it was always my least favorite because out of the original trilogy, it always felt to me like it had the least going on. Um, also, well, this kind of happened with all the Star Wars movies. Even though I watched them many times as a kid, I didn't fully work out the plots exactly um so even though i had seen it many many times the whole story didn't start to make sense like who the empire was and what's the relation of the emperor blah 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 that stuff didn't start making sense to me until i was about 11 or 12 Mm. even though i had already seen all three of them many times before then and then around the time of 97 this movie out of nowhere became my favorite for a little while just because it was the original and i liked the vintageness of it. But even to this day, I, I'm still reordering like where I fit this, this particular movie in. And I, I'm, I, I'm always having like a little bit different opinion about it. But yeah, those are my initial thoughts. Thank you, sir. What is your best thing about this film? And this is what I would say now in 2023, the best thing about this movie for me, especially with my recent rewatches is definitely the way, especially the main protagonist, the ensemble cast, the way they play off of each other, and the most entertaining I find thing I find now when I rewatch it is just all the quips. I've known all these quips for decades, but for some reason they tickle me more now as if they're new to me, even though I've heard them all before. I find them funnier in my current advanced age. 
What's uh about the quips? What like what what is it about them exactly? Is it just like oh you're you're they're a lot funnier than you thought they were, uh, or they're more original than you thought they were? Or they 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 don't go for like the lowest common denominator. Well, when I when I used to see them when I was in middle school, high school, or college age, it was just like oh yeah, I heard that. It's almost like hearing a joke for the thousandth time. Like yeah, I already know he's gonna say that. I get it. It's not funny anymore. But for some reason, in my older years now. I just think that is so funny and goofy as I almost feel, I feel like I'm in, in the body of someone hearing it for the first time. And I just miss quips like that. Not just from like the newer star Wars entries, but just in movies in general, I, I miss just, I know Disney has, has, I mean, Disney Marvel has corrupted that concept of quips um, and made it sound like all their stupid quips of the last 10 years sound like they're AI generated. But I just love them all. Like someone get this, you know, walking carpet out of my way and just all, almost all of them. Like they just make me like really giggle inside. Um, and this is something that just happened to me in the last year or two. Okay. What about how, how do they different or differ from, uh, what is it? How they differ from, um, quips nowadays i don't know i maybe not like ai generated well like i said um there was it's most noticeable in, in those marvel movies when they first started doing it with guardians of the galaxy um i was like oh i mean i didn't think this at the time but in hindsight i was thinking oh this reminds me of star wars and and like that fast talking yada 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 and i think it caught on but then Star Wars, I mean, Marvel and many other things started doubling down on that and they've just like ruined and trashed it. Um, and so now it's usually obnoxious and annoying in modern films when they go down that road. Yeah, it's obnoxious and annoying when Marvel uses it. It was good when Star Wars uses it, but it was way better earlier than that when Howard Hawks used it. For like movies like His Guy Friday or The Thing, holy cat! Indeed, I'm 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 gonna say that about the the talk. I've seen The Thing, but I need to I need to watch the other one. Sean, what was the other one you named? The first one? Uh, His His Girl Friday. Okay, I've never heard of that, and now I have to watch it. Yeah, that's a old nineteen. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I've never seen it, but it's I think it's Howard Hawks, and you know, yeah. There's a lot of banter back and forth. That banter is not new, but it would be new for a science fiction movie. I think that, uh, you know, there had been, uh, I don't know how many science fiction shows before this movie came out. Mm. And those were popular, but there there weren't many popular science fiction movies. That's important to mention. Um, I mean, what the fuck were there? It was like, I don't know, Star Crash? <laughs> That's unintentional, I think. <laughs> well, there was a lot, but there's Dark Star. Yeah, that's that's a cult movie now, but yeah, it's important. Not that Dark Star was popular, but... It's funny you mentioned that, uh, Sean, because, yeah, like, prior to Spaceballs, it's difficult for me to think. I mean, and especially movies that are A-list. I can think of some B-list, C-list movies, but mainstream it's very difficult for me to think of very many barbarella oh barbarella maybe well, yeah but it doesn't have good quip well, flash garden it has it has quotable lines like in a 
in a cult classic type of way barbarella does yeah and i i think it was meant to be like a sexy space somewhat comedy so i think maybe just some of the jokes are so dated oh there's no doubt about that there's no doubt at this point that the 60s humor doesn't translate as well but (laughs) oh no i mean that is definitely what they're going for but that's the thing it it's knowingly goofy um you know maybe 2001 a space odyssey of course that's science fiction but uh that's a completely different movie from this with different themes they're both science fiction but you're not yeah it's apples to oranges as far as i'm concerned yeah but uh eric did you have a worse thing the worst thing yeah part of it has to do with special edition which i guess we'll talk about later but the low-hanging fruit for me aside from that is that for most of my pre-college life and even post-college life i always hated like when i would start playing the movie like i had to get off tattooing so especially in my high school and younger days i would almost always skip past tattooing and start the movie when they're getting to the death star so so for mm. the first half of my life um the movie didn't really start till they got to the death star and then i was in for the ride i have different feelings now obviously but yeah all right uh thank you for that eric we will continue more on that later uh caleb uh your initial thoughts over star wars 1977 yeah well, i guess if we're talking about uh our early origins with the film i don't know how old i was when i saw this but it's one of those things that has just always been there you know i've seen it countless times probably yeah well over 100 times especially as a kid i watched it over and over then but yeah, this one, like you said, Eric, this was never my favorite as a kid, and was probably my least favorite until the prequels came out, and those quickly, yeah, I bumped this one up. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but even still, I always just loved the uh, kind of simplicity of this story. Things start to get heavy and dark when we get to the the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So I liked that this one just had a lighter kind of fantasy fare to it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, I guess skipping ahead right to my best thing. The thing that I always really appreciated about this movie was how well that they quickly pull you into this world and develop it so great. It's just a place that I always wanted to spend time in. And I, I always liked the Tatooine stuff. Less so now that we have the special editions where they just insert a whole bunch of dumb humor into that, that stuff. But whenever they went to Mos Eisley, I always loved that as a kid. Getting this view of what the uh, more seedier parts of the universe was. And uh, yeah, no, just the, the overall aesthetic, I think, is just so strong here in this first one. Um, like Steve mentioned, the pacing is a little bit wonky, and I think that that makes this one a little bit harder to go back to as an adult, just because, yeah, there's definitely a number of times where it just feels a little bit uneven, and yeah, the, lots of high peaks, and then some long delays between we get to the next peak. And I always thought it was kind of an unusual quality, and I don't know if it's a strength or a weakness. Every time I watch it, I'm never sure of them having the dual climaxes. Like, we get this great big up in the, on the Death Star, and it feels like, oh, the movie could end right here. And they have a little break, and then we come back for the real climax. I always thought that was a strange structure to Star Wars that they did that with it. But either way, I like both of them a lot. It's just, yeah, maybe that little break period in between feels a little bit strange. So, Caleb, you're talking about where they, they escape the Death Star? That would be the ending, is what you would have preferred? or I don't know about preferred, but... 
it feels like a climax. And then it's just like, oh, now yeah. we're into the aftermath. Like, is the movie about to end? And then we jump into another climax. It's like, whoa, didn't expect that. That may be why I feel like the kind of slowness, because I think maybe as a kid I was taking a breath, like, oh, that was amazing. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. it's not over. <laughs> then it kind of it slows down. <laughs> yeah. We're, yeah. we're preparing for it, and then R two's got to load the map, and and then Han's leaving with the his reward, and then we get a little, you know, chatting, more chatting in between. It's kind of like, oh fuck, when's this thing going to end? Maybe, but yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, but that maybe that's why I felt that way is because we just went through an ending. And now we've got like it, maybe the maybe the the final ending was a little felt tacked on, even though it's a great I, great scene. I absolutely I absolutely agree. Um, as a kid, it's sad we're talking about this when we're kids, <laughs> uh, but I I don't remember anything in between like the star fights and stuff. But uh, Caleb, you said your parts. Isaac, what do you think? Yeah, sorry. Any anything else to add, Caleb, or shall we continue? Oh, yeah. Just just before Isaac goes, I forgot to mention my worst thing. Yes, your what is your uh, Caleb? What is your worst thing about this film? Well, obviously, if we were talking about the special edition stuff, that would definitely be my worst thing. Um, but my other worst thing, and this, I don't know if this will count, Isaac. I guess you can tell me if it doesn't. Right. But my real worst thing, and one of the things that always bothers me when I come back to this is how much this movie's been pervasive and parodied in pop culture mm-hmm. to the point that when I go back to it, I can't stop thinking about those parodies, especially the family guy, blue harvest. I constantly have that in my head. I had the same way. Yes. I had the same thing. <laughs> I agree. And that bothers me. I agree hundred <laughs> percent. I don't like the, I don't like the blue harvest stuff. I actually do. I feel like with um, those kind of parodies, like the characters lose, have lost some of their initial, I don't know what you would call Respect. it. Impact uh, or which character? Impact, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, specifically Darth Vader. Specifically Darth Vader. Um, mm. I mean, Darth Vader shows up in everything. And, and I remember there was, not to get off onto a bunny trail here, but George Lucas, before he sold it to Disney, was going to do these cartoons. Oh, yeah. Detours. I think based off based detours. And I was dreading that. I'm like, yeah. oh my god, they're gonna make, <laughs> or even even in a, even though I love Robot Chicken, um, oh, there's some really yeah. funny Star Wars like where they just make Darth Vader an idiot, where he's he's flushing his cape down the toilet and, and he's having trouble. Like he has roller skates, like Inspector Gadget. I mean, I'm like, it just just ruins Darth Vader for me. Like I want him to be just a total evil son of a bitch that scares you. That's that was that was yeah. what he was back then. And now he's kind of like this. First, he's got a voice box, and he's, you know, um, he's a, more of a klutz, you know, stuff like that. I just, yeah, but that's revisionist. You, what do you mean he's more of a klutz? He's he's not a klutz in this at all. He's a no, uh, no, no. I'm not, I'm talking about like in the cartoons and stuff that the parodies. They just oh, okay, okay, you know. yeah. It's like they've overused the image. A lesser extent, Rick Moranis, but yeah, I will at least put the. Um, I won't say kibosh, but I will at least you know, state here. Let's like try to. I know it's hard for us to separate that, like everything that's come after in the seventy-seven. But I would like to at least try to, uh, you know, keep it to this film itself and not think of sure the legacy this has had in like a North American pop culture. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to say on that though, uh, as opposed to the first three guys, to me, I, I just naturally have a separation. So I agree. Like the existence of one. 
doesn't affect how I feel about Star Wars, the main stuff. As we're talking about Star Wars, I'm just talking about Star Wars, but yeah. Well, I'll say anytime I watch the metal scene at the end of this, I just can't stop thinking of stupid Peter like looking off because they're usually like the same lines <laughs> or the same uh, <laughs> it's the exact same scene. It just pissed me off. Huh. But if I'm going to pick my worst thing from the film itself, then I'll say, uh, yeah, it's just maybe some wonky pacing issues that yeah make it a little hard to sit through in one, in one sitting as opposed to when I was a kid. But um, but yeah, Isaac, on to you. What are your initial thoughts for Star Wars? Uh, a Star Wars initial thoughts. So to go on as per you know tradition with you guys, um, you know, what's you know when did I first uh, encounter this film? I think we mentioned this early on, like back in episode one. But for this one of uh, '77, I think it was in the late '90s when my dad showed me this on VHS. I think it was at then the new released 97 special edition but i can't fully remember if it was or not but either way i was you know like five or six ish uh because i remember it yeah i remember seeing in like the lego sets they had the they had to start when when lego got the um star wars license for uh toys or lego sets they had their initial line out there and it was i think either before or after uh, episode one came out with the tie-ins but so i do remember that and being like oh i want these like so badly but obviously i didn't have funds for myself back then so it was it had to be before the year 2000 but anyway, my initial thoughts wow throughout the years when it comes to like special movies or at least movies that hold a special place in my heart or at least i've i've decided to I've stopped watching them frequently. I, I don't know why. I've I've stopped watching them. Fre- maybe maybe you know later on in my life I'll start watching them more frequently, but a little more infrequently. Where it's like I have this with like the Miyazaki films, where it's just like I or even Ghost of the Shell. I just can't find myself uh, having the motivation or at least the drive to watch something like this because I want it to be like this special occasion. I hate you know saying that or whatnot or treating this as something like very special, but like it it felt like this thing. This film does like you know hold a place in my heart but it's like yeah I, I can't just like keep watching it over and over again and sometimes people can do that and i just don't want it to become mundane uh in any sort of way so you know come back to this i i don't think i had watched this properly and this was intentional i just had not watched this properly probably for maybe like 10 years or something like that or at least i'll say this the uh, original version the non-special edition version i don't think i had seen in quite a long time uh, obviously, you know, Caleb and I did a commentary over this back in 2019. So that's when we saw the special edition. But as for like oh, the non-special man. edition, I don't remember when the last time it was I saw it. I maybe I could be like wrong. I, I don't remember, Caleb, if you can remember back. I don't know if when we were before Force Awakens came out, I may have watched. I, I think, yeah, I, I think I may have gone through, and I don't know if it was a special edition or not, but I, I may have gone through the original trilogy. I don't know if I did the prequels or not, but I remember I think I may have gone through it just to like lead right into uh, episode seven. So, no, wow. Um, holy smokes, coming back to this. And not only that, I am grateful that we did our, you know, finally wanted to do Caleb. I'm so happy we did our initial, like, you know, George Lucas yeah. uh, look at his filmography because man coming back to this after watching uh hidden fortress not not his obviously but you know an influence <laughs> on this film uh thx 1138b but the short and the film and then american graffiti holy smokes it was like a almost see like a combination of both not not fully of course but there was stuff of that 
If I had to go, I'm going to do, this is weird, but I'm going to do my worst thing first. Uh, some of the non-existent, maybe not non-existent, but uh, this isn't a worst thing, but I'll at least point this out quickly, is that, wow, this film went fast. Uh, this was like a quick two-hour watch. Because um, mm-hmm. as a kid, I felt like, I'm not saying it went slow as a snail, or, or as, you know, an appearance slugs, as Hansel would say. But it's, it wasn't as slow as molasses, but I was definitely like, wow, as a kid... Your perception of time alters when you're an adult. When I guess, more <laughs> yes. you know, the, the end is nigh, or something like that, or when you, you realize <laughs> oh, that no. you know, Jeez, Louise. entropy and atrophy starts, you know, occurring, and it's like your time is valuable. So it's like this film went like a shotgun in a way, almost. I was like, geez, is there any levity? And so that's that was where I like kind of <laughs> wish that you know we had this in American Graffiti, where whether it was Lucas's dialogue or somebody else's, I wish some of those bits uh i wish there was a little bit more character interactions uh with the cast I, they have the quips obviously i get that but i remember when we get into the you know millennium falcon cockpit they escape the death star they, they just you know fended off the tie fighter attack so it's like ah, i i was really you know hoping that you know when we you know princess leia goes in there and talks with han we we get some character interactions but i wish we had more of that uh that would have uh, really have been nice um, so that's like, that's my worst thing. I guess uh, another thing I had was, I think some of the, the darkness of the empire, I don't think is it's, it's scary. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know if it's as treated as scary as it should be for the fact that we see, you know, uncle Owen and Amperu burnt alive. And later on, we see them blow up an entire planet of people. It's like, yeah, I kind of wish that there was a little bit more like, you know, weight to those scenes. Well, you knew they were evil because they had those British accents. I mean, that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. No, I, it's interesting because there's nothing in this movie that makes really makes the Empire evil, other than the fact that they're the government, they're the stronghold. Well, like Isaac mentioned, they blew up a whole planet just to test their their new weapon. Oh well, yeah, and and a, and, and a uh, in a way of uh, as interrogation. Uh, just, just to like yeah. prove a point to Princess Leia of like, all right, we're gonna use this as leverage. Like, dang man, that is cold. But uh, even another thing, like maybe this is another like problem. Uh, one of my worst things is not the the trench one. This time it made sense for me finally as like, I guess like a you know comprehensive adult. But like, oh, the uh, the the stormtroopers. I wish they shot straight or something like that just the whole like yeah because it's set up in the in the film that you know he says or obi-wan says like yeah you know too precise for uh to that of like a a pure stormtrooper and it's like i kind of wish that there was no plot armor isaac you see that's that that's where that's where the comedies affected your your thoughts or affected it when it when you saw it okay because back then that wasn't a thing that stormtroopers not aiming that was I mean, you could have. Yeah, they were pretty good in this. That's true. They were. Yeah, but but the the joke of it came later. That's true. And so that's when people are looking back. Yeah, looking back, it's like, that's oh yeah, that's right. They couldn't do this or that, or when they were swinging across the, the chasm, they they think it would have been an easy shot or something. But yeah, but back then that wasn't that wasn't a thing. I guess there are a couple moments in here when like Han runs into that room with like a hundred stormtroopers with the special edition. It's like really all those hundred guys blasting, and not one of them can hit him. But, but I think that's about it. <laughs> Definitely true. Um, thank you, Steve, for correcting me. That's that's fair. Thank you for you know catching my tongue there. Um, uh, let's see. How so, dare yeah. you? Okay. 
in there. Um, so yeah, I'll, okay, I'll uh, I'll retract my statement over that because yeah, you know what they they do seem pretty menacing in this. Also, I noticed the whole thing of like T16s being a recurring gag through this. I wonder if that was no, never mind. I guess it was just a you know random speeder. But um, T16, what's that? Is that his? Oh, it was because I I think no, I don't know if it's uh, I don't know if it's Luke's speeder that he has, but I remember he mentioned maybe that was the. Because when he sells the speeder, he says like, "Oh, there's, there's, it's not as much as like the T16s cost more or something like that." Yeah, the latest model or something. Yeah, something like that. Mm. The latest model and the the uh, two stormtroopers uh, that Obi Wan when Obi Wan's tur- turning off the uh, tractor beam, they're talking about say you've seen the new T16s. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I never knew that. So I'm just like, oh, is that a yeah, is that a is that something else or is like what's what's that about? Uh, is that like a recurring gag? But yeah, I kind of like that, so it's not my best thing. But it's the spaceship yeah. that uh, Luke learned to fly on that we is do it... not see in this movie, except for the model. Yeah, it's the model. Okay, I figured it's the yeah. You remember Caleb the model that he plays with when you know he's giving or when C-3PO is getting an oil bath. <laughs> oh, thank the maker for that oil bath too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's um... like you know like whizzing around <laughs> with that you know thing. It's like yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, yeah, we see the real ship in the background in uh, Attack of the Clones. Which, oh. by the way, uh, that scene with those two stormtroopers talking like that—that that felt like a real connection to THX 1138. Oh yeah, just with all the kind of background talking that with those guys. True. True, true. Very true. Would you like some refreshment? Uh, could I have a couple more drinks there, please? Thank you. Fill her up. There you go. Don't be stingy. That's great. <laughs> but did, did you have a, a best thing, Isaac? Uh, my best thing, uh, I think, yeah, has to be uh, some of the action scenes. Not to, or the, the, the uh, inter, interplanetary fight scene, excuse me, with the uh, fighters. That was, uh, especially the end trench scene, uh, or the Death Star run. That was so fun oh my goodness like and again it was a not to bring up thx 738b but you know that end scene with like uh him racing in that car uh and then even at the end in um what do you call it in the other american graffiti where we have the race it's just another evolution of what lucas was doing there so i really appreciate that and i also appreciate the characters and uh i don't know if it was how if it's natural or anything like that but I, i love how somehow lucas is able to like have all these characters have just a, a, a little bit like just at least you know flush them out just a tiny smidge uh in a movie where you would think that they would be forgettable i don't know if it was him or obviously his writing team well his writing team but uh the producers like eric kurtz or something like that uh but just whoever it was that you know helped them out with that i really much appreciate that so that is my best thing sir um mm. now let's open the floodgates can we talk about some of the uh, the older actors that, like, uh, Peter Cushing and Alec Guinness? Um, I mean, I didn't mm. know who they were. Uh, and then you have a completely new cast of Mark Hamill, Ford, Carrie Fisher. I mean, it was just... Um, I, I don't know if, if having Alec Guinness and Cushing in there brought anybody in, but I, I really maybe appreciate those actors later as an adult. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's funny because how many people that were in the original Star Wars film that hated their characters? Oh, uh, like Alec Guinness, notoriously, he would not sign if, if a little kid came up and said, you know, Mr. Guinness, sign my poster, or my, my Obi Wan figure. He wouldn't, he wouldn't sign them. And he was known in interviews to say he, he 
didn't like it. And I think it makes sense why he was killed off. I think he, from what I remember, and this has been retracted later, but that Guinness convinced Lucas to kill him off. He was, I don't, I think he was kind of embarrassed to be doing this kind of movie. I mean, it was, it was going to be a a sci-fi B schlock film. Um, And of course, Harrison Ford hates the character. Um, Yeah. He was begging, he was begging to have the character killed off after Empire Strikes Back. I don't think he was expecting his character or Obi-Wan's character. No, Harrison Ford wanted Han Solo to be killed off after Empire. Yeah, we'll talk about it, but they probably should have, considering the how little they used that character in that third one. But <laughs> yeah, but Peter Cushing, I mean, I just what an exemplary actor. I mean, I've just yeah, I I didn't really have much thought of him as a kid. I just thought, oh, what an evil guy. But because of this, I looked into Guinness and Cushing's past films. And I mean, the whole, like horror films, the Hammer horror films where he played uh, Helsing, um, Ben Helsing, um, and then even Doc, he played Doctor Who. Yeah, <laughs> not do- the Doctor, but Doctor Who in the films from the '60s, which is a completely polar opposite character how he portrayed that character to yeah. Grand Moff Tarkin. Yeah. By the way, his uh, if anyone's seen the Hammer Frankenstein movies, he's scary in those. He's a uh, he's just like an amoral just asshole in those but he's really good in that stuff as well a yeah, great actor and i think that's why like christopher lee came into the prequels i think because of of what he saw what peter cushing did i think he he was excited to do a star wars film because of that yeah i always wondered if that was like a nod to his old friend like oh then we'll both be in the, the franchise there, there's a youtube video where he's being interviewed and he's mentioned something like that. oh that's really cool yeah that, that's yeah. that's that's cool to hear yeah, no, I think they did it. I think Lucas was smart to bring in some established people, especially because he's going to have so many young faces here, so many inexperienced actors. Mm-hmm. Having them in the background just to yeah, boost them up, I think was smart. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll agree with you on that, Steve, uh, in that, yeah, as a kid, I was, you know, a little bit like, I, I, I just treated, you know, Grand Moff Tarkin as this, you know, he's a bad dude and whatnot, and, you know, Obi-Wan's a hero. So it's kind of funny how the roles are reversed, where it's like Peter Cushion loved being Grand Moff Tarkin and was kind of, a, like, not an old shame, but he's kind of sad that uh, he his character was killed off because he would have loved to come back and uh, continue on in the series. So it's, yeah, it's a, that's a darn yeah. shame that, you know, he, he wanted to keep doing these. But, and then Alec Guinness is like, yeah, I'm this is trash i i don't i don't wish to further myself into this <laughs> he was doing it for a paycheck yeah. he was literally doing it for paycheck so nothing you know fair enough he at least got what he wanted um but yeah no it's yeah i i, I when, when looking at you know both the I, I i when looking at both of these characters i definitely can see uh the acting prowess there i wonder do you think uh not that i'm not getting this for anybody but do you think that regardless of Alec Guinness's thoughts, does he still act professional and does he uh, still bring, give his all at least uh, you know, to treat this uh, f- uh, role, role professionally? Hmm. I think so. Um, I mean, I think he, what he, the, what he disliked was he was doing films like, um, uh, what was it? Over the river Kwai, uh, the lady killers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so he was known for some really, great films back in the 70s probably in the 60s probably yeah 50s even uh, oh yeah I, i'm looking at his imdb he was in lawrence of arabia arabia i mean shit i mean he was he was doing all the all the big ones um and then he did st- this little tiny stupid film that he nobody knew was going to be great uh, there was a uh let's not forget that right before this he did murder by death 
There you go. Absolutely. Mm. Yes, as the butler. And he was reading the script of this as he was doing it. I did not know that. And of course, oh. murder, murder by Death is a favorite of us. That came out the year before. Yeah, 76. Yes. That's right. 76. Yeah. And it's interesting because, I mean, no one thought the first Star Wars film was going to be that great. It, I was just watching an interview on YouTube where Lucas was saying that uh, uh, before the movie was released theatrically, um, he and Spielberg, I think, went to Hawaii and they came up with the idea of Indiana Jones because they didn't think he, Lucas yeah. didn't want to be around with the release because he thought it was going to bomb. Um, so no one was expecting this, and it's so funny because I mean, how many theaters were around in the seventies, late seventies? Not it could have been that many. Eric, and then <laughs> oh no, don't Eric. ask him. <laughs> Eric, how many theaters? Oh no, he'll find the number. Uh, but I mean, I bet you, how many do you think were showing the initial? premiere of a star wars a couple hundred theaters maybe and then by the well, end all of them were there is that because it was initially supposed to you know as far as you know history's like again hopefully the history is correct because there's a lot of things where new lucas later controls the narrative absolutely how this movie absolutely. came to be uh so at least going with the information that i know of hopefully you know to take a grain of salt this but i hope it's at least the closest to accurate it was supposed to come uh, this this movie was supposed to initially come out in december of 1976 wasn't ready post-production probably and so they were still going and they were going to get it for may of 1977 may 25th i believe the memorial day weekend and they had to do it quickly because uh, hot off the presses was smoking the bandit that was the film that was i think going to be released <laughs> in july of uh, i think for either fourth of july weekend or at least in the summer they were going to do it in the summer instead like ah, we can't do that because uh, I've watched Smoking Bent recently or not, since, and it's like okay, I can see why you know they were the yeah, studio heads were spooked. Yeah, they were yeah. spooked because it actually is a, you know it's a fun time. Uh, but it's like so that's Great why movie. that's where that came in. But as for theaters, I thought I knew this uh, tidbit and tri- piece of trivia, but I no longer remember that now. So it, at least you know a few theaters were probably showing it, but I don't have a exact number uh, off the top of my head. Yeah, and this is in the wake of Jaws, which kind of changed the way that movies were being released by studios right giving a because before they would just kind of shop around different markets and kind of move it around but after the success of jaws and then pushing for the you know, wider release i think that this came under that same kind of structure i think <laughs> again i'm not too sure either who's the producer on this was it alan ladd who did this one Is that right uh, eric <laughs> well, well, it was Gary Kurtz who was the producer, but I don't know if I didn't see if Alan Ladd Jr. was executive, but he was head of 20th Century Fox uh, by that point and was really, you know, he was he, he was a big ally of Lucas's in this time. So I, I assume he probably did have, you know, a, I, I, I didn't check if he was I didn't really I don't think if I saw his name anywhere in the credits. Maybe it's there. I didn't I didn't see it. But yeah, Eric, what are your what are your thoughts on all that we're you know talking about? I'm still working it out right oh. now. But um, Jesus Christ! But, oh no! Well, yeah. Thankfully, he he muted this time. Oh, we couldn't God. hear the typing. <laughs> no, but what's interesting though, which I never knew until now, is that when on on the day that it premiered, it was only shown in thirty two theaters, mm. and a oh. week late, and a week later, they only upped it by eleven, so it was in forty three theaters for a while. Oh, still the old school way. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, so I had no idea, but stay tuned for more. Yeah, and didn't this, because uh, I know Lucas for a while was working with American Zoetrope, the Francis Ford Coppola production company. Yeah. And American Graffiti made a, a, a big buck, but 
I know uh, Coppola, because Lucas wanted to keep focusing on his uh, his smaller independent movies like he always talked about. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of Coppola who was pushing him like, why don't you try to make something that's more, you know, mainstream, something that's going to actually make you some cash going forward. Yeah, look at my Godfather films. Look how great those are. Why can't you there do you that? There you go. <laughs> and so this was his answer. This is my Godfather, uh, Coppola. Mm-hmm. I know that he didn't produce this one, so that's a little interesting. What 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 did you guys think of? Uh, I mentioned earlier about Carrie Fisher being kind of a a, a strong female, I would say a lead. Um, Definitely a standout. I mean, yeah. as as kids, do do you remember like? Because I don't think back in the day. I mean, this movie pretty much invented the whole action figure thing. I mean, before it was like dolls, like you had GI Joe and Barbie, mm. but. Um, to put such a strong female character in a predominantly male or boy film, I thought, I don't know, I thought that was great. I mean, I, I sometimes wonder if we would compare it to today, like how it would be looked upon. Like, would it be considered, oh, you're just woke and, you know, all those tropes that you hear. Uh, but, you know, back then I thought, you know, Carrie Fisher did an amazing job. I mean, what, what, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Did when you were when you first saw it as a kid, what did you think? Oh, geez, another girl, or did you think, oh wow, she's really kind of a strong lead for this? Go with Sean first. What are your thoughts on Steve's question? I think he's absolutely right um, about a strong female character. Um, she is the first strong female character yeah. that I know of in my lifetime. I I feel like Sean. I, I can't tell if I'm being gaslit right now. No, keep keep going, Sean. Keep <laughs> going. And no, that's all <laughs> I have to say. That's all I have to say. Okay. Uh, Eric, your your thoughts on Steve's question? Oh no. First of all, <laughs> these were thoughts I never had in my mind with Star oh, Wars geez, or anything <laughs> prior to like the age of thirty or something. I, I never even thought about this one way or the other. Uh, but for current day, I do have a fairly strong opinion because I know the Princess Leia character with Carrie Fisher, Carrie Fisher and, of course, Ridley and Alien Ripley are often cited as some of the... Oh, what did I say? Ridley, Scott, uh, no. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, are often cited as, as some of the first prominent strong female characters, certainly in genre or sci-fi, but even across the board, they're often named that way. But from the numerous older classic films that me and Sean have run into, especially on the best, best picture and elsewhere, I find examples of really strong lead female characters throughout every era of film we've ever visited, going back to the earliest times of film, um, even in silent films. And I've, I've seen it. So I think... There's a collective amnesia out there um, with younger generations, Gen X included, that just don't know. Because I hear this so often repeated on many review channels on YouTube and everywhere about those two firsts, but they have always existed. Um, and and not just, oh, she's a strong lead you know, as part of this trio. I mean, like, lead of the movie. There are tons of examples. Now, are there more males over time? Uh, yeah, of course there are. Um, but there's a lot more than a handful of, of strong female leads 
that are significant and powerful um, without even mentioning something like Wizard of Oz or Gone with the Wind. There's plenty of more examples that people are just unfamiliar with. So I understand in our modern collective mind, these are like the beginning of that. But I really don't think that the history of film reflects that if you really dig into it. Well, I, re- I really liked one of the scenes uh, was when they were rescuing Leah or supposedly rescuing her. And she's like, they sent you or, you know, what, you know, <laughs> basically mocking Han and Luke about how screwed up this yeah. rescue plan they have. And, and I, what I, I know she's like insulting Han left and right. And what does he say? No rewards worth this. So <laughs> I always, maybe it's one of those funny moments for me too. It just made me laugh. That I love it. I love was, that line. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, oh, you couple of amateurs, like, really, this is who they sent to get me? Not realizing that they just <laughs> came on their own. <laughs> Where's Obi-Wan? I mean, he would have, like, slaughtered everybody. Come on, let's. what are you idiots doing here? Not to mention the 1970s in general in film. There's a strong, and television of the time, there's a strong through line of uh, women's lib. So it very much fits into the time period because tons of sitcoms, primetime dramas, movies in the 1970s specifically um, were all about that. So it, it, it totally made sense uh, historically um, that it would it would be alongside everything else of the time. Yeah, especially if you liked uh, exploitation or horror, they were always pushing, like the, the pistol-packing mamas was just a, a staple of the 70s exploitation. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I think actually probably no one noticed it at the time. It's just retroactively. I think people knew at the time, but yeah, that stuff was not uh, remembered into the 80s and the 90s because, yeah, a lot of it was not re-released. Yes, exactly. These are lesser known things in modern times. Exactly. So I don't blame, you know, modern audiences for not yeah, it makes sense. seeing it. And I feel like the, the in whole, the, the Star Wars film was very progressive. Uh, I mean, it, it think, it, I think compared to today... It didn't hit, like back then. It didn't hit you over the head uh, with certain certain thoughts and and uh, social issues. Like one of them uh, that comes to mind, like I didn't pick up on until much later as an adult, was that the whole thing with droids being slaves. Um, mm, you know, like mm-hmm. when they go into the cantina on Tatooine, they're like, "We don't serve them. Get them out of here." Kind of like, okay, what what's the fucking deal with it? Did, yeah, what does he have wrong with these these droids or robots? You know. Yeah, but now, now looking back, I'm like, oh, they're referencing like you know, um, back in the in the South in the '60s, uh, '50s and '60s, where you know there was specific restaurants, water fountains, and stuff like that for uh, different people. I guess I could put it nicely. Yeah, segregation. Exactly. Uh, so it, it discusses that, but in a in a way that I think probably affected future generations to kind of, you know, we're, we're talking about these, these two Abbott Costello characters. Um, <laughs> there shouldn't be any, any reason to hate them. I mean, there was no explanation to why droids were hated so much, uh, but it, it did kind of put a, I guess, a, um, a thought in, in my young mind that that was wrong. And that, you know, that uh, even though, again, it's, Science fiction. We're talking about something completely, completely fictional, but the concept itself was introduced, and I and I, you know, I think credit Star Wars for that. Yeah, and just even beginning with them is like the the underclass these these kind of peasants trapped in this this greater story. Mm-hmm. 
then they get captured and like sold as his slaves if you want to you know put that attachment to him i didn't pick up until my recent viewings how dismissive both luke and uh i was gonna say lars fuck prequels <laughs> um his uncle crap i can't remember his name uncle owen uncle owen <laughs> How dismissive they are to C-3PO. C-3PO is just like, keeps talking. He's like, okay, shut up. I'll buy this one. They're just all mean to him. <laughs> well, I mean, they're, they're so unimportant that are, they're not even worth wasting laser yeah. or yeah, ammo on. Shooting them down in the in the skate pod. Like, oh, there's nothing in it. There's no, no reason to shoot down. And that, I think if there was somebody saying that if, if that guy hadn't given that order, if they would have shot that escape pod, at the very beginning of the film that C-3PO and R2 were in, then there would have been no story. Because this story yep. would have yep. ended after that. But they, you know, they their lives weren't even worth wasting fire. You know, and, and, and I'm even thinking back, I'm sorry, I'm just going through the whole movie again, but the scene where they're on the Tantooine 4? Is that the name of the blockade runner? Tantive? Tantive 4? Tantive 4. Tantive 4. Um, you know, there's a there's a got the rebels and the stormtroopers shooting out in a hallway and they're not even concerned about shooting the droids. They're, they're trying to shoot around them so they can kill the rebels. Yeah. They're, they're just, just no it's a funny little bit. Yeah. I mean, either they're extremely lucky, but I always, I always feel like they, they didn't want to waste killing probably valuable merchandise that they could reprogram or just their, their lives weren't worth anything to them. So why waste yeah, know, yeah. Their, their, their ammunition on it? Yeah, people always talk about the connection to the Hidden Fortress, which, yeah, me, Eric, and uh, Isaac recently talked about. I think kind of the, the the only real strong connection, I mean, maybe Eric would make arguments, is the, the way they treat R2 and C-3PO. And I think the, the the humor of these two characters that really have no business being wrapped up in this greater story, that just scrape by by the skin of their teeth, because people are just so disinterested in them. They just have that ability... Like you mentioned, them showing us the shot of the two guys being like, should we shoot down that escape pod? Ah, there's no life signs, just let it go. Like, there's a sudden, there's a sort of humor to that. And also them quickly uh, trying to go through that, this, this action scene that would normally be exciting. You just see these two silly droids trying to walk through it. Like, oh, don't don't mind us. A little bit of humor to that. And they're kind of like the comic relief, too. Yeah, the comic relief as well through the film. Oh, yeah, big time. Especially that early Tatooine section. Yeah, just C-3PO just being a big asshole to, to poor R2. Just constantly <laughs> kicking him down. <laughs> so, yeah, I got a couple, three things to chime in re- real quick. Um, oh, no. I love how I have this new reputation. Um, <laughs> it's not new. It's not new. You've done it for years. Yeah, decades new. Um, so... You know, he's almost making me forget what I was going to say. Oh, so this whole idea of the otherism or whatever you want to call it with the droids in Star Wars. Um, yeah, I think it's large part um, the amalgam, just like many things in, in the original Star Wars. George Lucas is kind of playing off of two main things. One is the Hidden Fortress stuff, which, of course, a big part of that movie is the classism that existed in that era in Japan. And so it's just being translated over. Those guys were peasants or and or slaves in Hidden Fortress. And Surf. that's who the droids are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a combo of that with the concept that has been strong in science fiction forever, but especially highlighted uh, in 2001 um, with the idea, yeah, art is artificial intelligence or man-created um, beings 
are they equal to or on the same level as regular humans and so yeah by design i think lucas is very much playing off of both of those concepts with that uh it took me a very long time and digging and i finally found some numbers to work with on number of theaters Ah, in in the 70s very nice uh I'll, i'll tell you with an asterisk um so in 2022 there was i guess 39k screens in the u.s and Mm -hmm. the best figure i found is for 75 with approximately 15k in the u.s um the only problem is with my 70s figure is they also showed the figures for the for the soviet union and they have incredibly more screens in the Soviet Union. And I know Soviet Union is Russia plus other countries, yeah. but but they're on a whole different scale and they've been consistently massive throughout the decades. So that's why I'm not sure what I'm looking at because while the US was down in, in 15K range, supposedly Soviet Union was 155K. That's all... I, I don't know. So I don't... In Mother Russia, movie watches you. (laughs) So I don't know what's going on with these crazy Soviet statistics. I don't know why they would need, like, are these 10 people theaters? Are they projected on the side of buildings? I don't know. Well, and you got to consider, too, like, in in the 70s, there were movie theaters that were single-screen theater. Yeah, almost predominantly. Yeah, that I don't, that doesn't exist anymore. I mean, theaters today have what a dozen at least. At least, at least. Yeah. So yeah, the only ones that still exist are like the old vintage restored ones for the, the most porn part. ones. Yeah, the ones that show porn. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's with the sticky floors. Yeah. Me and Caleb have a single screen theater here, and I know another one on our island. So uh, those exist. Two, two here that I know of: Park Theater in the Rio. Yeah. Oh right. Oh, by the way, drive-ins were also counted in these stats. Oh, and I guess that makes sense. Also, still screen, mm, single screen. Yeah, those are almost gone. Yeah. Oh, but um, we, uh, I wanted to mention about the, because uh, I think we discussed during the prequels how some of their scrolls at the beginning kind of felt like they were just an obligation. And some of them were even confusing. And it was like, what the hell are they even saying in this, this scroll? <laughs> um, <laughs> I like that this one did such a great job of feeling like you just... I, I think, of course, this. I'm sure Lucas mentioned this many times, which is probably why it's in my head. But it's just like jumping into the middle chapter of a like a serial or something. It's just, oh, here we are catching you up on what's happened. And I think that one, this one here, is, is straight to the point and really serves that purpose well. And like you mentioned, jumping in on that, that chase and the great action scene, it really immediately pulls you in at the start. Yeah, it gives you enough. Doesn't give you too much. Uh, just gets you know simple. Like gives some you know exposition, and obviously there is exposition through the movie, but gives you enough exposition to be like, okay, it's it's not fully in media's res, but there was something that had happened prior, and that was another thing. You're absolutely right, Kill. Like I was thinking that uh, when I rewatched this again today, where it's like, man, this feels like a a very long, not very long, but definitely a serial from like the 30s or you know Flash Gordon, but. Yeah, modernized. Oh yeah, yeah, it was definitely. Yeah, no, it was definitely. I think Lucas said it was inspired by Flash Gordon. The it was the little uh, five minute. I don't even know what you call them vignettes or <laughs> things they would play before the movies, kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, instead of Bugs Bunny, you got you know Flash Gordon. It, it's still weird to me that they literally show 
a short clip of Flash Gordon before THX. Yeah, it's so interesting. Because it's harder for me to it's so hard for me to wrap my mind more around that connection, whereas the connection is much more obvious with this movie. So yeah. Well we broke it down in that. I don't know if you remember what we said, but I don't remember all of what we said. Yeah, I'll save that for another time. <laughs> sure. But yeah, no it's funny that you could see his his influence even then. And maybe when he was trying to think of how can I make a more uh, kind of commercial version of my sci-fi story, he just went to that Flash Gordon place. That's interesting. Yeah, but it was a, a brilliant move, genius move, to start it the way this one starts with the scroll and then going into the story. Um, I can think of countless examples after this where people have done their own version of that type of storytelling, and it's usually used to good effect. I'm going to have to think um, what mainstream films used something like that prior to this, but I have nothing off the top of my head. The Deadly Assassin. (laughs) Not a film. (laughs) But prior to this. I'm not counting counting television, uh, (laughs) but mainstream (laughs) film. But I always thought it was super cool, and it always made me wonder. That was definitely something that I was preoccupied with as a youth, was wondering what the actual... um, before story was but i guess we all know now you know it's interesting you guys were bringing up like past movies um like thx Mm -hmm. and american graffiti but i mean this film star wars affected i mean besides the stupid comics cartoons and shit we were talking about earlier but (laughs) yeah but i mean it affected films going forward like i remember i remember being surprised um when watching the original bad news bears uh, there was a scene where the kids are use, trying to use the force to hit the the ball. <laughs> you know, like like that's not even a was that a Fox film? I, I don't remember. But um, I mean, you had that, and then I I remember in I think it was Albert Brooks's Defending Your Life, where he's in heaven. No, no, it wasn't Defending Your Life. There was another uh-huh. movie with Richard Gere. He was in heaven. I think he was going to be reincarnated, but he's talking to an angel, and on his on his table. Up in heaven, he had a lightsaber. Oh wow! And wow! And, and they're like, he's really surprised, and like the angel picks it up. Was like, oh yeah, we've been, you know, we inspired this or something like. I, You're right. I've only seen that once. Huh. I, I, it's been over thirty years, so my memory of that scene is very limited. I just remember him picking up a lightsaber, and because in heaven they have that technology, of course, right? That's crazy. Um, in heaven, everything, everything will be all right. Okay. It was also one of those cracks, that, if I remember, I saw the movie like two years ago. Um, it was one of those kind of jokes you see a lot more often now where they're sort of making fun of like middle-aged men, like holding on to like their childhood nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Me? What did you say? <laughs> but, oh, no. Steve, were you talking about the... Were you talking about the original Bad News Bears? Yeah, the original one with... Because um... that's really confusing because that movie came out in 76. Maybe it was the one after well, that. What? It's okay. There, there's a scene where the uh, one of the kids goes up to bat and he's trying to use the force. Oh, I wonder if it was the Bad News Bears and Breaking Training, which came out in 77. Maybe. Wow, this is so Star Wars related. I could. Well, I never knew there was a 70s sequel to Bad News Bears. Now I'm curious about this movie. <sighs> For my memory, it's not good, but that's just my memory. <laughs> it's been a very long time. But the fact that it just affected films, you know, going forward after that, that it was it was a cultural icon, cultural hit. I mean, it, 
icon. Yeah, sure. Oh, it had such a huge influence that both the wave of fantasy films in the 80s and sci-fi films were oh, yeah. very much trying to follow in the archetype of this. Like Crawl? Even something like, uh, oh yeah, definitely Crawl. Back to Crawl. Let's go. Oh, really? He's <laughs> talked about Crawl. But even Alien. Yeah. Alien wouldn't have been made had it not been for the success of this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And the Star Trek movie would have been a lot different, and or not even a movie, yeah. and many other things. The list goes on forever. I'm talking about Star Trek all the time. Yeah, and I wanted to mention, because uh, like I said, I watched this twice before this. One in the uh, original, not actually my VHS, I managed to find this old film print on uh, archive.org. <laughs> so I watched that, it was better than my, my VHS copy. Really? Um, and then I watched the 4K version as well on Disney+. Plus, and man, this thing in Dolby Vision really did shock me how much the... Because I'd never seen the 4K version. I'd only seen the Blu-ray. And it, from that, is a ginormous step up. It really is. And it's it's, it's mostly in the, the new grading, I think, is what makes the biggest yeah. difference. Unfortunately, it makes the terrible inserted CGI look even worse than it did before. But everything else looks great. <laughs> Again, hold off. Hold off on a second. I would disagree. I think the way it looked in 97 was incredibly worse. I meant over the Blu-ray, yes. The, oh, the, oh, Of course, I mean the updated effects. <laughs> oh, okay. That's different. Yes. Okay. <laughs> 97 stuff is un, almost unwatchable. Yeah, it really is when you look at it now. Um, yeah, it's not, not even that, like, just not to keep going with this, Steve, but yeah, you're, you're correct with, like, the fact that this film took over the zeitgeist for a good long while, especially, I guess, cementing with the sequels, but we're just talking about 77 not only like film, but don't remember, don't forget television. I've, I've seen uh, the Muppet show where they had like Mark Hamill and a bunch of, you know, Star Wars. Like it was like all devoted to Star Wars. Oh, oh, that sounds cool. I, I got to check that one out. I haven't, uh, I haven't seen that one. I got a question for Sean. Who's your uh, favorite B character? So that would be like Chewie, R2-D2, C-3PO, or um, R5, R5-D4. Yeah, I'd like to order... Uh, Two more glasses of wine. The old vino, please. Vino. <laughs> Rojo. <laughs> oh, white no. Zinfandel. That's what my grandma used to drink, white Zinfandel, out of a fucking box. Sean, I know you like wine. I've got a whole box of white Zinfandel in there for you. It's like, no, I don't think you understand. <laughs> they don't make wine. They don't make good mouthwash. That's my Donald Pleasant. Imitation from Colombo playing the wine guy. There you go. And the old port in a storm. Yeah. My favorite's the guy that looks like he has like a penis mouth. You know the guy who's following them around <laughs> and penis precisely. mouth. <laughs> looks like wait, he has a giant. This might, wait, this might be my new character. What are you talking about? He's the guy who he speaks into like a little thing. He's like, wah, 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 wah. yeah. He's like Howard the Duck. Oh, the spy, the spy that yeah, yeah. penis guy. Yeah, when I was a kid, I always told my classmates that it was gonzo like, <laughs> like in disguise yes i like that it's gonzo i always thought it's howard the duck in disguise and i love and i love caleb's uh how he impersonated the character because it sounded just <laughs> yeah. like him i mean i didn't know who you were talking about until you did the voice but bes- besides me calling him gonzo i always thought he looked specifically like an uncircumcised penis nose Agreed. I always thought that. Oh my god, wow. Eric. 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 I started it. I apologize. I started Caleb, I got a question for you. What about the scene where um, Obi-Wan's fighting Vader? 
at the end. And then he relinqu relinquishes his life to save Luke. I mostly like the dramatic weight of that. I do think mm -hmm. that poor Alec Guinness, that was part, that, maybe that was the scene where he realized that, ah, what movie am I in at this point? When he does a little spin. I always thought his face after he does a little spin, he just looks like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I always hated the continuity. If we can go move on to the re-releases, the special editions. Sure. All, all the shit that Lucas added, which I hated. I hate almost everything he's done uh, adding to, to the film. But the one thing I, th I felt like he should have done was update that battle because it does not make sense at all with any of the films even at that time even in what 97 wait which said. battle are you speaking of specifically when vader and and obi-wan were like had the okay. lightsaber duel okay and what was the thing that uh because it's so it, it's so like the effects wise you mean slow no oh. yeah the effects wise they could have improved lightsabers a little bit more but the, the, it's so slow like we know vader can do better and there was somebody who did a fan, not I don't know, a year or two ago oh, on YouTube released. I think I've seen and this. It's, and yeah. they're more like action. They're more jumping around. And, I mean, not ridiculous like Yoda was in the prequels. Uh, but, yeah. But it, it just, it, it wasn't just like two guys like just, you know, <laughs> holding up a toilet paper tube of, of cardboard and like just randomly aiming at each other's sword which it, it just does not fit at all. And I always thought, because Lucas said, oh, well, of course it's slow. When the prequels came out, he, he said something along the lines like, oh, yeah, well, it's slow in A New Hope because, you know, you've got a guy who's who's a robot and um, and Obi-Wan is old. But as, as we get into it later, like with the, the, uh, the animated stuff, that's just not the case. Um I almost felt like they could have explained it a little bit better in, um, was it Rogue Squadron? Rogue One. Where they could have said, oh, uh, Vader received new parts for his limbs. And so he's adjusting. There's, there's, a, there's a, okay. a point where he's got to to his new, his upgrades or whatever. You know, like they, they never included that because to me, the whole lightsaber battle at that end, it just sticks out like a sore thumb. Like it doesn't make sense. Because yeah. in the very next film, we see him battling Luke, and he's way more active. Vader is. Yeah, and I guess it's even more jarring with Rogue One before it because we see his little fight scene where he's trying to get the plans. Exactly. Yeah, I think it would have been far more. They could have explained it so easily. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up just because actually I forgot I was going to mention this as like my least favorite thing in the movie now. Um. Yeah, when I watch it with my modern eyes, uh, the entire film that's the only one moment that I get a little cringe for, for modern people seeing it for the first time is just that duel. Um, and actually the, the effect of the saber was much worse in the original non-specialized yes, version. Definitely. But, and yeah, I've heard the retcon and this and that, and definitely if you were going to do a special edition, it would have been nice to update it like those fan edits. That would have been nice. Or even if you don't go that direction, with an edit or something i wouldn't mind if they were less animated and still moving slow but explain it if it was filmed in a way well if it was if it was filmed and presented in a way that it was understood that they weren't about the physical duel at that point it was more about the mental duel and mm -hmm. i don't know how exactly you convey that but i'm sure there's a way you could have done it 
um, where it was, you know, still the same actor doing the same thing. It just would have looked better, if you know what I mean. So that would have been fine. Yes. That would have been a fine compromise. But yeah, but you know, what can you do? Yeah, have some kind of in-universe explanation. Like maybe they were, maybe Vader had a force power, or maybe Obi Wan had a force power where it exhausts the other or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. Something, but just even if it's slower, just make it look better. Like it was intentionally slow or methodical. Yeah, and I wonder if that's the only weakness of because I know George Lucas originally. I don't know if he wrote it for Tashira Mifune, or if he just wanted to get him. But putting in that big fight scene and then casting Alec Guinness, who's you know fairly old at this point, you know that's that's something that he just I'm sure couldn't do much more than what he did. But if you had in Tashira Mifune, who is known for his samurai films, could do some really good action. We could have had a more exciting sequence there. Well, and Obi Obi Wan has a hood. I mean, they could have. You That's know, fair. <laughs> put the hood on him. Put a white beard on him. Yeah. Suddenly, you bring in uh, you want a Tom Baker or John Pertwee stunt doubles. <laughs> just throw them in there. We have so many Doctor Who actors here. I'm sure they could have right. called up some of the stunt guys. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Havoc did do the action for this. By the way, they were in the Stormtroopers most oh, of the time. Oh dear, I haven't heard a reference to Havoc in a very <laughs> long time. <laughs> So if we do uh, compare, if if I may compare the you know lightsaber battle at the end duel, excuse me at the end to the duel that the general has with his comrade in in the hidden fortress, obviously you know if that was what Lucas was lifting from, makes sense there. Uh, definitely very different, and in in this case it was much more set up, uh, especially since the environment that they're in is a lot more tight. Not just tight, but I'm not going to say I was. Con- I felt that that duel in uh, Hidden Fortress was contrived or anything, but it was. It definitely just seemed like, and the general goes this way, and all of a sudden, hey, he sees his former comrade. It's like let's have a duel. So I'm, I'm not saying like you know it's you know, out of nowhere or anything like that. But this time it was kind of built up. It was very built that these two were going to uh, fight each other. Uh, and yeah, very, very different where it, instead in, the, in that film, it was, you know, out in the open and um, there were, there are obviously cuts that Kurosawa put like, you know, focus the camera in, but they pulled back this one. Yeah. Lucas kind of restricted himself to much tighter corners uh, and it's weird. Yeah. Cause Lucas is, I think good at showing the fight scenes. Uh, he pulls the camera yeah. back like yeah. he should with a fight scene. Uh, but yeah, this one was a little wonky and I felt, and this is even throughout the whole film, there were things that they excelled at. And then there were things that I felt like was a first, not first take, but definitely it was the first attempt. And they're like, you know, they're not writing it off, but it's just like, it's that rule of like, well, it's better that we released it than we didn't release it at all. So it's like as limited as it is in this and, you know, the epicness that it's been built up as just treating the film as its own. Uh, I was like, yeah, it is a little bit of a letdown. I will admit that not just like from a technical uh, standpoint, excuse me, but also, it's the first time we see a lightsaber duel and it's like, well, how do these things work? But obviously throughout the years, we've like evolved it to be something else. Well, but I kinda... the fact that Lucas went back and did additional multi additional edits. Mm. Uh, I mean, I would have been fine if, if he would, if you leave the lightsaber duel alone, but don't add any of the other shit. And one of the yeah my biggest complaints about the, uh, the star Wars movie the first one um, is that I want a original cut of the film on 4K. I don't want an updated version. Yeah. I just want the movie as it was before it was called A New Hope, just Star Wars. 
It was it was a standalone film. Um, I want that in 4K. That would be that'd be totally fine. Uh, but I mean, since Lucas decided he wanted to mess with it over and over and over, it's kind of it reminds me of Spielberg over and when over. He fucked up when Spielberg fucked with E.T. E.T. back in the <laughs> the when talks. was that in the 2000s? I think it's early 2000s. And um, he even said later, and he put him back in. He's like, I shouldn't have done that because yeah. Lucas rotted your head uh, with not ever finishing <laughs> something. Um, I'll be honest, I'm I'm not a big I'm not a Lucas apologist. I, I, I think he's an idiot. Yeah. Um, I, I love the Star Wars <laughs> films. Don't get me wrong. The only the only reason that film is even somewhat releasable or somewhat watchable is because of his wife who edited the damn thing. Because everybody said it was going to be horrible. Uh, what she was given, she cut it down. And she because of her uh, ability to edit a film and cut it down to what it needed to be, I don't think this film would have been a success. I don't. If it wasn't for Marsha Lucas, uh, I don't. I don't think this film would have been a success. Honestly, I think it would have bombed. Yeah, and George Lucas himself has said that. Yeah, I'm not all the way with Steve with all the things that he said, uh, and it's not just with Steve, <laughs> but I know it's like a lot of this is consensus amongst especially older fans of Star Wars. Um, yeah. I definitely, of course, would like the original versions available on 4K or even Blu-ray. And I wish, yeah, they should be available, certainly. That being said, though, not just with Star Wars, but generally speaking, with special editions of other things out there, I'm just going to be honest, I tend to watch the newest special editions of Blade Runner, um, TOS, uh, whatever, whatever. But you have the original. But yes, yes, Runner, you yes. Have, yeah. You have the original, yeah. and you have the director's cut, and you have the the special edition Final cut. cut and, and, I mean, yeah. Blade, Blade Runner yeah. has like twenty cuts. <laughs> Again, I would love to have the original, and it should be out there in a premium format. It should, but Lucas refuses. Yeah, I understand. I understand. Yeah, and I mean, you could say the same thing about, um, uh, well, not to the same degree, but James Cameron is a little bit that way, um, but not as not as harshly as George Lucas is with hiding the original stuff. But um but that being said, there's when we just talk about Star Wars, when it comes to the alterations, there's definitely alterations in all three originals that I am 100% here for, and then there's other ones that I don't. But it's all case by case for me. Um so it depends. But overall, I feel like I feel like a new hope's the worst. No. Out of all the the updates no, I think Empire Strikes Back. I, I don't mind what they did. Yeah, that's there. okay. I don't, mi- I don't mind what they did with Jedi, except for the end song and adding Hayden Christensen, well, Christensen in it. But the the first uh, movie has has been, in my mind, it's ruined uh, this film. I, I why doesn't Lucas? I, I mean, I know it's Lucas, and I'm pretty sure when he sold it to Disney, he wrote it in the contract, "You are not allowed." He to did. Touch, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's him. Touch this movie. Hundred percent. You, while while Lucas probably has a 4K copy of the original film, <laughs> he's watching and laughing. Yeah, it's, it's somewhere locked away. It will never see it until he dies, uh, and then then whoever his heirs are of of this license, they'll hopefully release it then. But his refusal yeah. to do this is just mind boggling to me. I don't understand it. Why not release it like Ridley Scott with Blade Runner? Why not have the 30 copies or 30 revisions that yep. we can all watch yep. and enjoy the way we want to? But no, he's got to have I don't the... know. 
Well, I don't like it. I'm not nearly as bothered about this, what we're talking about. And if we were just talking about what was the mo- most screwed up by special edition, mm-hmm. actually, I think I'm leaning towards Jedi for me. Me too. Uh, what, what do you think? More than this one. What, what scene? The bar scene with the stupid guy who sings and we look at his dancing uvula. Oh, yes. That was horrible. Yes. Horrible. I forgot. I, I, I blocked that out of my memory. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll discuss that when, when we get there. That's like the worst moment. And then there's another thing I don't like in that one. But anyway. Yeah. But in this one, it's not a big deal to me. Like adding Jabba. We don't need to see Jabba the Hutt. That's a terrible scene, by the way. When he walks over him and... It doesn't even look right. It looks horrible. No. At least update that shit. In Boba Fett, he like mugs at the camera for a second. He like looks right at us. <laughs> yeah i mean that was kind of cool but i i can understand that yeah. i don't I, see that's funny we're like back and forth on all these different elements when you break them down um yeah i don't like the java scene but i also think it's a lot better now than it was in 97 um there's, a, there's a great fan edit out there that i just saw this week where what they they took the cg from the modern version but they made it so that java is being hollow projected on one of those little walkie droid things like out of phantom menace um no but it it works really well it's like the best of both because jabba still takes Mm -hmm. the same space that the human actor took up um but it still has and and the cg looks better when it's the hologram rather than you know the actual figure standing there but do you actually like that scene itself You, you you think that was a needed scene the only reason i like it and this is for me when I didn't know Star Wars backwards and forwards and for other people who watch this movie and don't know back, Star Wars backwards and forwards. It took me a long time in my youth to work out the connection of Jabba like in Return of the Jedi and how the seeds were planted in A New Hope. So I do like it's a little bit more highlighted and it it it, it, it gives a better connection to something that was already there before it was just in the Greedo conversation. Um, because that was just an element that really, really confused me for a long time when I was younger. And huh. just a little bit more would have gone a long way for me. Um, so I, I think it works. And it could have yeah. been done better than it has been done. But having something there, I think, is better than having nothing at all. If it was done in a different way than what we actually see. Yeah, I disagree with you, Eric. I'm sorry. Oh, I yeah, I think the Greedo scene more than sold the conflict there <laughs> again i don't think i don't think the casual viewer adult or not would necessarily catch it especially when you think that there's three years between the sequels and it's not easy to revisit the or in back in the day it wasn't easy to re- revisit the films yeah but no, now you're inserting because of course that that stuff only existed when we had home video so yeah people in seeing the theater would have been something different yeah. but yeah but even in but even in modern times, though, where these things are available, people who are casual viewers aren't going to be like, okay, let me let me brush uh, up on my Star Wars before I watch the sequel or whatever. Uh, okay, one of the most notorious edits that Lucas did is the who shot first scene. Oh, boy. Glad I saw it, you know, just as what it was today, and it was perfect. Continue. What was it? Uh, that, Greedo, that, that Greedo shot first instead of Han? Han, Han. 
No, no, yeah, like I saw, like as it originally was intended, where you know we it was it's a brilliant scene, by the way. I just love that scene a lot, where you know Greedy Greedo has him, you know, by the gunpoint, and then Hansel just like maybe maybe it's too easy, but just like yeah, he has him at gunpoint, and then like Hansel just like yeah, just keep talking and gets his blaster ready, and then fires. It's like oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, you can see him needling Greedo on as Greedo's like, I can't wait to kill you, and the right when right after that, he's like, oh, I bet you would, and then blasts him. It's awesome. That's great. But the, the original film, Han shot before Greedo could. There was never a blaster yeah. fire. F- yeah, like Absolutely. And I like that. I like that. Yeah, Han was the only one that shot. That Han is more morally gray. Yeah. 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 The original version is by far the best version of this scene. But there's been like four or so different versions. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. And the first one was horrible. I mean, I think actually the second might have been worse, I think. When they had the head bob. Yeah. The 97 edit is the, is the worst of all uh, of that scene. But the most modern version. But it's so obvious that they they, they, they moved Harrison <laughs> Ford's head like he cocked it. Even though it looked solely. Disturbing. Totally un, yeah. Yes. Disturbingly. Unreal. It's bad in every possible way. Uncanny. Uncanny. Yes. The 97 version is, is, is completely horrible. But the newest current version on streaming on Disney Plus. It's definitely the next best besides the best for me like it doesn't bother me anymore even though i think the original is the Uh, best um the current edit doesn't bother me but it's not as good as the original the other in between versions are bad even though it changes the context of the scene you're still uh, you're still fine with the the change yeah yeah that's true because yeah that's yes yeah they're always again i'd rather have the original i'd rather have the original but i no there's other things i would change first if we were just looking at the newest version yeah like all the dumb jokes in moth Eisley. or grow the vader and obi-wan battle that to me and it's funny because when mm. when the uh the movies were re-released in 97 i remember thinking to myself oh good they'll fix that lightsaber scene because that does not work yeah the other mm. thing i don't like now is okay i like the idea of updating the entry into Moss Eisley, but not the way it, it's executed. Not the way it's executed. I, but I definitely oh, really? like showing more rather than the original version, just not what we got. Oh, I hate it. Yeah, I, th- I think it was totally fine in the original version. There was like maybe one dodgy effect when we see the three uh, riding towards the city. It looks very strange, but otherwise I think they showed us just enough. No, it was okay in the original, but I'm saying I'd be okay with updating it. Um, and I, I think it would be a nice thing on paper to show more of a larger city coming into it. I just wouldn't have it look the way it looks in the special editions. And especially take out the stupid, quirky Jawa humor, which I think oh, when we boy. saw it in 97 was like a sign oh, of things he... to come in the Star Wars universe. When he's swinging off that yes. large beast. Yeah, that, that yeah. Sp- I hate that. I, hate I always part. hated that. Yes. Yeah, and this is a as good a time of any to, to mention this. So when I watched the 4K version, I had a friend who'd never seen Star Wars before, and they wanted to watch it too. That's impressive. So I watched it with them, and they didn't know anything about the uh, CGI editions. And so I, I didn't mention it to them just because I didn't even think to. But as they're watching it, they're like, wait a minute, like, what's what's this? Why is this here? This doesn't seem to fit. And I was like, oh, yeah, should, I should have told you. Like, yeah, they keep doing these new additions. They keep updating them every few years, adding in this, this CGI stuff. 
And they're just like, oh, it, it looks terrible. Like, it doesn't fit at all with the rest of this. No, it doesn't. It's so obvious. It's so obvious that it's the grain and everything. Yeah. As it went along, she kept being like, wow, the like whenever we see the old effects, they all look so quaint. Why would they insert all that stuff that doesn't seem to fit at all? And so, yeah, she yeah, was very baffled by all that. Amen. <laughs> CG was all the rage in the late 90s. Um, Oof. Post-Jurassic Park. But that's the thing. Like, the do-backs, again, on paper, the idea of showing them more alive and in motion, I'd sign off on that. Right. But the way it actually looks in the special edition, no, not like that. It looks stupid. Yeah, what they should have done, yeah. and again, this, all this stuff looks better in the Disney version versus 97, but still, what they should have done for the special edition initially is done something more like jurassic park where you had a mixture of practical and cg like just a little cg um and then it it could have been a lot more acceptable and and welcome by me but again but i'm not dying over that scene either but yeah yeah i just don't know why he felt the need to insert all that stuff anyway it's kind of like was he like an obsessive kind of guy who he just never thought it was perfect and so he kept trying to tinker yeah i think so uh, yeah, I'm sure that's part of it. Again, in the late 90s after Jurassic Park, that's when filmmakers on the cutting edge, that's the first time they believed we could do anything um, mm-hmm. visually, even though that, we know that's not true. But it aged, And it aged poorly. Yeah, I think that was the prevailing sentiment in the late 90s. Yeah, and I'm curious for you, Isaac, having started with the special editions, do you maybe have a different take? Do you feel like they're more a part of this than... You know, people who didn't start with that stuff. Well, again, I don't know if I... I, Maybe I'm incorrect, but I feel like I did see uh, the original version, the non-special edition version, excuse me, from 97. I know I said I probably saw that, but I... I, Because I remember... Because when I I watched them, I was like, this looks different. Maybe it was just a... Pardon me if this is wrong. Was there a regular edition release for the vhs version and there was like a special edition that had like those added scenes or yeah is that not true yeah there was the 95 vhs set maybe that was it that was the that was it okay yeah lucas made his announcements like this would be the final version that i'll be releasing in the original format asterisk and we're working on uh yeah putting together the special editions which came out in 97 of course that wasn't true but yeah but that is how it happened at the at the time, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um, so I think 2008 was the last proper, yeah. Well, then there was a 2011 release, but anyway. Um, so not to oh. well the well the Blu-rays. I mean, that was well, that was I guess the first time the Blu-rays were released or Star Wars is on Blu-ray. Oh no, no, I was saying for the VHS, he was announcing this would be the last time I re- released the original versions. Before. Oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, for, yeah. pardon me. And then because I have the, well, they put them on DVD. I have this, you know full screen limited edition that i have in my hand um which was what i watched yeah, that 2008 set i think uh four i believe oh that early uh yeah it was on dvd um but anyway so to answer your question caleb uh not to to attempt in my unprofessional and you know non-doctrinated uh opinion to diagnose lucas just to i guess you know explain things to steve um this is not me this yeah don't worry this is not an apologist or something like that this is just me trying to observe why like the the whys lucas has you know like like me a very low self-esteem very much so never how do you know it's confident in some things but i could actually see that from his interviews that how do you know that yeah go ahead caleb 
Yeah, the the post uh, interviews, the ones after his criticisms, I could see that with him always talking about, oh, you know, people hate me for Star Wars and people can never be satisfied with what I've done. Oh, that's definitely obvious. And talking yeah. about his pressure to. Yep. Yeah. Like, especially saying something, you know, as, as taboo as, like, you know, calling Disney white slavers or something like that. <laughs> I no. think got, hang on. Okay, sorry. Sorry. Maybe not the best example. Forgot about but, that. Yeah. They're droids. There's a, there is a thing. They're droids. Jeez. Uh, oh, by this point, they may be because they're all just maybe run by AI. But I, I think just as a person with low self-esteem and similar to with, as the same with just looking at Lucas, it's like, yeah, even then, he always seems to... It's almost like he's in the wrong profession in a way, but he just yes. he, he seems very meek. And I don't mean that in a yep. negative way, but he seems very meek. He seems very you know, soft-spoken, introverted. I'm just, I'm so fascinated that this was the film that he created. And like the, the like, you know, not to throw it out there, but like the meek shell inherit the earth. It's like, wow, he really did something uh, that turned audiences to, you know, his attention to him. And it's like, especially being a director, like, he could probably maybe towards the late, his later years, especially when he did the prequels, maybe he was a little bit more like confident. I don't know if confidence is the word, but he just felt more assured potentially. Yeah, but certainly, I I would I do wonder if it, there is that obsessive thing that Caleb was saying and the whole control freak nature as we've alluded to throughout you know the prequels. I I definitely yeah. wonder if it is a way of. An artist, you know, it's it's like, what if, you know, Leonardo da Vinci looked at Mona Lisa and was like, I got to remake this. Like, time, time to remake this. Well, I yeah. think he even did that in his own time, in his, during that his lifespan. No, I, I think you're right, generally, Isaac. I, um, yeah. So he's, it, it almost seems like, uh, you know, there was, there was trouble on the sets. There was a lot of trouble, like, you know, yeah. everything was not as good. And I can, I can understand this as well, uh, in, in a way of just like, you know, not wanting to if it, it maybe it's a flaw as well where it's like well i don't have control of my life so i'm gonna instead make everything else a project or i'm, I'm instead make sure that everything else around me is in control whereas i'm not in control uh maybe that's maybe that's another way of thinking potentially and so if things were just not going well on set uh and you know the production side of it and the post-production it was while well, he was stressed he hated that yeah, and I feel as though the the special editions were a way to, I don't know if it's the word like to bring closure or at least like reclaim, reclaim the demons almost, and to at least conquer his demons, and to at least you know finally snuff out all that. I don't know if self-loathing is a, is a word, but just all the trauma that he experienced for making these. Well, yeah, because he didn't want to do it. When when Fox wanted a sequel, he's like, "I'm not, I'm not directing that." It almost killed me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's interesting. Hmm. So it's it's a it's a broken person, a broken man, just trying to grasp <laughs> and re- regain control uh, of his life. I'm starting to picture Anakin Skywalker now. Yeah, yeah. I'm starting to picture him in like a like an al- alcoholic binge, like sitting in a dark room trying to re- remaster this <laughs> and then i think he got in trouble with like the hollywood uh-huh. unions actor unions because they didn't at the beginning of the film have the actors names in the in the cast there was that too yep i thought that was interesting because nobody else before that that i'm aware of did that i mean he really pushed the 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 trend on that which is funny because which i like 
a lot of people, not a lot, some people do that nowadays as well, where they won't open with credits of, of people. Uh, mm-hmm. Nobody will uh, have the, because yeah, I, I remember before, like you'd have melodies and whatnot. You'd have, you'd open with like the score and showcase, you know, all the players and all the production staff and the crew members who worked on it. Instead, yeah, it was, you know, he was saying like, you know, forget that Hollywood tradition. Let's try this other thing. Let's go back to, you know, the serials. And that's where we have, you know, just the fanfare. Then like Lucasfilm Limited, which is the best logo they have. Honestly, the green, the simple green and black. That was, that's perfect. Don't, don't, don't need the, uh, the gold or anything like that. And then the, um, just, you know, Star Wars and the John Williams score and the scroll. It's like, yeah, screw, like I'm going to forget these traditions that we've done. Like, let's try this out. Speaking of John Williams, um, what are your thoughts for this film i mean can i can i please gush can i, can I i'm sorry i don't want yeah. to interrupt anybody i just i need to gush because listening to this again and w- watching this again today oh my goodness like he allegedly again in in the like you know behind the scenes documentaries or whatnot when they had an initial cut of the film they're like oh it's interesting where's the sound yeah. or where's the music excuse me it's like well we don't have one yet so you know coming off of you know the success of jaws, jaws i guess spielberg recommended um john williams to lucas to you know hey like you know here try you try this guy out because he's really good mm-hmm. and he is um what i noticed what i love about this film is the moments where his score isn't there uh that's more noticeable and it's like oh we have quiet time because nowadays just with i don't know if it's anything we always have to have noise there always has to be a stimulant in movies that's with at least a sound and i'm like we don't need that i appreciate movies that don't often have to have something like like a stupid excuse me just a, a melody you don't you don't there you go so it's just like uh, i i i appreciate uh the music there and oh man, even listening to it on its own, as like if you're just listening to an oh, album, absolutely. if you're listening on a yeah. player, it works so well. I go back to this one often as well. So my goodness, I, I, I appreciate the score very much. So Steve, what are your thoughts? No, absolutely. And I remember as a kid, like I, I got the record for the soundtrack and that nice. really started my, my love for soundtracks. Like Later in the years, like I remember getting the Ghostbusters soundtrack, the Indiana Jones. Oh man, uh, Raider, or Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, soundtrack. Like I just, and it, most of those. I mean, obviously, you know, Ghost, not Ghostbusters, but John Williams' uh, soundtracks were just amazing. Jaws. I mean, he just. I think he's the Mozart of our day. I I think that a hundred years from now, people are going to be listening to him like we think of the classics, like Beethoven or what have you. I I, I think oh, he's. I, I really think oh, there's, no, there's no doubt. Yeah, I th- I think he's 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 just a treasure, and he's retiring now. I understand after the last horrendous Indiana Jones film, but uh, the one the <laughs> one thing about that horrendous film, Dial of Destiny, the, the people loved. Everybody hated that. As far as I know, everybody hated that film except for the soundtrack. Everybody loved the soundtrack. That was the a highlight of that film. I saw the movie, and I agree. So I, I think he's just a genius. I, I think his name will be celebrated for hundreds of years. And to, I guess, point out the, not the obvious, but people know this as well, but to, maybe to my co-host, they don't. But just like how, you know, Lucas was pulling a lot of different, you know, sources and, and different ideas and, and stories, you know, here with a thousand faces for its sake. Um, but everything, like a lot of other stuff to make this film, Williams as well was like working with uh, a bunch of, he, he like, we you were know, talking with Lucas, he decided, you know, he was, we're not but 
He was going in the direction of also taking a lot of influences from different places. And some people criticize him for that uh, in his later years, and even looking back on this and being like, oh, how, how could you, you know, have done this? And, you know, kind of ripped off some, you know, you know prior uh, composers. And well, who do you, who who are they stating he ripped off? I haven't heard this. Well, okay, it's a lot of composers. I I know their who they are. I don't remember their names, so forgive me if I do sound unprofessional here I'll, on that. I'll tell you in a moment the one who's like the most obvious. I don't know if it's Tchaikovsky, but like there's a lot of baroque uh, musicians that he uh, goes back to. But in a way, he was in certain music critics will also you know come at this hmm. as well. So pardon me if I you know sounds uneducated but it's like yeah he he also was like i i guess you know the film scores of the time as well kind of got away from that orchestral sound uh so he was like let's bring back like if this is a love letter to those serials let's let's maybe go back even further and bring uh in some of the operatic stuff what the hey was as either like russian uh composer or somebody else yeah okay so the most obvious um work that uh williams borrowed from was this symphony called The Planets? Um, I've heard of that. Yeah. By yes. Gustav Holst. Yes. Who was English. Um, and it was written originally between 1914-1917. I guess around the time of World War One. And if you listen to that, it's first of all, it's nice to listen to the whole thing. I mean, it, it's yeah. definitely a good one. But you will definitely hear certain specific motifs that are very Star Wars, that are very... The Star Wars version is yeah. very much like a sound alike. And there's one in particular, I can't remember if it's Mars or Saturn, because they're the different movements are named after the planets. But one of them sounds very much like the Imperial March. Like that one I remember. But there's there's others besides that. But here's this. I mean, it's like with in, in Hollywood with storytelling. Everything is a copy of something else. I mean, even Oh no, no, yeah, it's it's all good. It's all good, but you will definitely hear Star Wars if you listen to the planets. Yeah, I have no criticism of it, but I, I, I think it's great, and, and I think it's worth mentioning while we're gushing over John Williams is the Ben Burt who did the sound effects. Oh yeah, darn straight. How many sound effects are in this film that people automatically like the the laser fire or the lightsabers or the the ships, you know, like the Millennium Falcon taking off? I mean, Ben Burt did all that, and it's. It's so iconic. It is iconic. Um, and then we had the the Wilhelm scream in there. I mean, that's worth mentioning as well. Yeah, just the Vader uh, breathing is so such an iconic sound. No, all of it is great. It all translates well in the other media and the video games. Um, Bert's yeah. work, even all these many things he's done post Star Wars in modern films. Just in general, if you listen to any movie that he's worked on, you can just tell there's like a different uh level of attention to detail um mm -hmm. yeah yeah the sounds of the tie fighters when they fly by i mean how of course original is that when it screams through the r2d2 chewbacca it just goes on forever and ever and ever the jawas sand people <laughs> Ooh, uh caleb you were you were you were wanting to say something there uh, what was it you were wanting to ask or state oh i, I was gonna say um one of the uh, pieces that I didn't remember standing out so much, but definitely stood out this time, was just those early moments on uh, Tatooine when it was just, uh, I think mainly when it was just C-3PO wandering around. Uh, some of that music really captured me this time and has a good uh, good way of emphasizing the alienness of the planet that they're on. 
I feel. One thing I didn't realize, uh, and I, I was listening to it a, f- a few months ago, well, I was re-listening to um, the Death Star run, or the Death Star fight, and realized that, because I listened to the complete track, and it's like, okay, it's it's all the way through. But I realized in the movie, they stop. Like, once it's like the trench run, uh, like mm-hmm. the first two trench runs, yes. they, they pull the music out, and it's just the sound effects. Brilliant. I, whoever's idea that was, like, great job with that, because it really built up the tension. Yeah. And showcase like what was like just focused uh, the audience's attention on what was like actually supposed to be happening. Um, one one thing that I m- maybe not as passionate as, as Steve is, but definitely something that irks me with the special editions uh, is some of the sound effect changes. That's something that annoys me because my my brain is really? like trained myself. Okay, so I'm like, not familiar the, of this. Okay, so what what sound effect changes? This is mean? yeah, this is the thing. So, you are with some of them. Uh, so there's. A few instances where, I, again, I, I haven't watched the special editions in a while because I basically, as of, I don't know, when Caleb and I did the commentaries last, I refused to basically ever watch the special editions because, yeah, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, I just prefer, like, you know, the original versions anyway. Um, I don't really need much of it. Uh, but there's ones where, but if I see catch them on, like, cable TV, um, yeah, I'll notice like sometimes there's like the ATST blaster fire somewhere. I could also hear like the ATAT fire. Um, hmm. What else is there? Uh, and and there's other ones where it's just like other ship uh, ship laser fire that's in regular blaster fire. I'm like, what the hey is that about? I didn't need to see that. But it was in, in in a New Hope. They they made changes. I believe they did. At least, as my as far as my memory is concerned, I'm pretty sure there were some changes with certain, like certain shots or of a blaster fire are uh, have uh, was vehicle or ship fire instead. I'm like, oh, that I don't agree with that. Oh, oh. the vast majority of the special edition noise changes don't bother me in the slightest. Um, most of them, I think the two that stand out the most, I think, are the um, the crate dragon scream in a new hope um and the no in return of the jedi I, those are the ones that jump out at people the most um but other than that I, i'm not really too bothered and the 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 dragon scream completely took me by surprise in 97 uh like what the hell is going on um i think they've softened it a little bit now and add some reverb and echo so it's not as annoying in the current version but yeah, other than those, I, I don't think too much about that stuff. Well, speaking of the crate dragon, um, I remember in the original film seeing that skeleton along the dune scene. Oh, love that. Like I'm like, what the fuck is that? Like oh, that like Star Wars had so many little tidbits that didn't really explain it. It was just so fascinating. But yeah. as an adult, I now see okay, they were pulling from Dune, the film, um, or not, I'm sorry, the books. Um, with the worms and then yeah. found out later spice and and shit like that. Certainly, I, I think I I, I I don't see people talking about this enough. Like Flash Gordon, again, I think Lucas is a revisionist history revisionist. Yeah, we pull from Flash Gordon, but I don't really see enough people talking about this. Has a lot in common with Dune as well. You just got to go to the right channels. You got to go to the no. You definitely hear more about the Flash Gordon stuff. But if you go to the right channels, yeah, people talk about it plenty all the time. Because cause if you know, if people who study George Lucas um, as fans are well aware that, you know, originally he wanted 
to get the filming rights Lucas did for Dune because he wanted to make the first screen version and then of Dune when he was unable to yes and when he was unable to that's when he shifted to Star Wars likewise Lucas also wanted to do like the first live action Lord of the Rings and when he didn't he did Willow so yeah th- this is well known in the in the George Lucas lore by the way so glad he didn't get Dune so glad he didn't get Dune <laughs> It's probably good he didn't get either, but, you know, who knows? Yes. I'm looking so forward to the sequel. <laughs> Same here, Steve. Oh, there's no doubt. Uh, but one of the things that I wanted to make sure that we highlight, because I always, every time I go back to this, I feel like I'm so guided by the, the usual Star, uh, Star Wars fan opinion when it comes to Luke Skywalker in this, because people always talk about, Oh, Luke, he was such a whiny little uh, brat in this one. I never see him. And Mark Hamill, he's a, he's a bad actor in this. And so I'm like, oh, maybe I don't remember right. Maybe he is more whiny than I remembered. But then I go back and watch it. And I'm like, I, I, really, I just don't see what people see when they say that about him here. I think he comes across pretty charming throughout. And yeah, maybe he's a smidge whiny to start, but it's it seems understandable well, i mean he's, he's kind of yeah, i mean feeling confined there and his uncle doesn't even want to really listen to him he's like ah, oh, just push it off for the next season like ah don't worry about it you want to see the wider world well i i think it comes off mostly natural uh what do you guys think about that steve let's go with you first what do you think of caleb's question oh no i uh i disagree with that um i mean luke is is whiny but that's the character in my mind, I don't. I don't think it's because that's how Mark Hamill played the character. I think that's he's young and he's impatient. He wants he does he wants to go to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. He doesn't want to fucking work on the farm. I mean, can you blame him? Yeah, who would? In <laughs> the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Eric, what is your uh, response to Caleb's question? I think there's two prevailing fan camps out there. Um, the one that Caleb mentioned. And the one that uh, Caleb and, and Steve are speaking from, which is there's nothing wrong with either camp, in my opinion. I'm somewhere in, be- in between leaning towards um, Caleb and Steve because it's neither here nor there. Never has been for me personally. But I think like Caleb and Steve, it's because I've grown up and lived with this series my whole entire time. Uh, one of the reasons... I love watching first time reactions in modern times is because I'm literally seeing adults of different ages, literally watching star Wars for their first time. And I don't think they're crazy with their modern eyes, noticing um, how whiny Luke is. Um, And I think it's because they didn't grow up with it. And I think, so I, I think all these different points are valid from the different camps. Um, But yeah, I'm somewhere in between. Uh, because I personally didn't notice how whiny he was until recently with these first-time reactions. And when these people were saying it in the moment, oh my god, like, why is Luke getting in the way? Why is Luke bothering Han when he's trying to go to um, hyperspeed? <laughs> they were valid criticisms for these people watching these movies for the first time as an adult. So, yeah, it makes sense to me. Uh, I mm. would say it, it's among some other things that first-time watchers in modern times always notice. They always notice that um, that scene or those scenes. They always notice that C three PO is a crazy pessimist. Yes, 
hugely, especially in this movie in particular. But that's so great. I love that. Yep, I love that. Too. No, no, no. I'm not saying. I'm, I'm just saying what sticks out to modern yeah. audiences. They notice every time Han Solo gives a line or quip that is very not PC in modern times, and mm. especially when he like talks about you know I can't remember how he says it, but you know your highnessness. Yeah, but he also says something about like we don't need to like listen to a woman or I can't remember how he says it after the trash compactor scene. They always notice that. Um and they also notice that Vader at times has these weird awkward physical moments, like these weird times when he just turns around suddenly. Oh or, yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> at the yeah. very beginning. Yeah, he turns around to face one of the generals or moths or whatever you call them he's like literally inches away yes that one always cracked me up but there's like those are the things i notice that first time watchers always notice uh, and like kind of pops out at them but yeah i get it though eric's always here to give us the perspective of the the first time reactor channels Mm -hmm. i don't get those channels that's why again i like i like watching that stuff because you're vicariously seeing it through fresh eyes Especially modernized, where you know everything's different now culturally. I respect it. I think that can be a little unfair because it's like asking somebody today to watch Gone with the Wind. No, you're absolutely right. It is unfair, but I like to yeah. see that perspective because I could never know that because I grew up with it. I see both sides. It makes yeah. sense. And to give us their opinion while they're watching it and talking to an audience and trying to yeah, because they'll they'll point things out uh, half engaging with the movie. Yeah, they'll point things out, and I'm like, oh, I never thought of that, because it's just always been that way in my head. No, sometimes we need an unbiased viewpoint to see if something is correct or not. Yeah, I, I love it. I really love it. Just yeah, just so you know how other people are taking it in, like outside of your own vision. Yeah, I think I just must have a bias against that form of media, the reaction media. I just find it very, uh, yeah, without substance, but that's just me. <laughs> I love it to death because even before this genre of YouTube existed and before YouTube existed, I have always delighted in sitting in the room with a friend and have them watch something that I love. I have always loved that since VHS has existed. So, yeah. Yeah, but at least in that case, you know, they're actually watching it embrace. They're not trying to be entertaining talking to an audience the whole time. That That's the part that feels disingenuous to me. Oh, you're right, and yeah, that, that's a that's a certain handicap um, for sure. But I mean, otherwise, how else can we do this? I mean, virtually. That's fair. I did want to highlight as another because there's a the the movie it does feel like it has a bit of a strange pace at times, but they do a good job speckling through really memorable scenes that uh, you know you kind of forget the slow moments in between. And one of the ones that I think always super stood out for me is the trash compactor scene. Hmm. And the scary little one-eyed guy in there, and a lot of the the humor there. Yeah. I feel like the characters all bounced off each other well, especially with the new dynamic of Princess Leia. That was always a really memorable part of the yep. the movie for me as a kid. One of my favorite scenes as a kid of many from this movie, and also mm-hmm. um, in when I was preschool, no, kindergarten, first grade age um, in British school we had to write in journals like mandatory like every day and oh. and in in those journals you could like also make up like little short stories or whatever for, of your own and that is one of my first memories of one of the first things i ever wrote and illustrated in my entire life um which was i wrote the story of star wars and i focused on the trans compactor scene 
and I did a full page drawing in my journal of Han Solo shooting his blaster and it bouncing off all the walls. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that that that's that's a big one. That's a big one. That's a great scene. Yeah, taken from uh, I believe you know prior not prior but it was probably taken from uh, old serials I believe. Well, I think that's kind of obvious. Oh, that makes sense. A cliffhanger moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, or at least you know hanging on the seat of your pants. Unfortunately, it doesn't have that same like cliffhanger approach as it would in a television series. But that's we're, we're talking about a movie here, not a TV. Yeah. So honestly, I think that serialized nature that Lucas was drawing upon that had to largely affect how much I was engaged in this movie from a, a very young age. Um, because to this day, it's something I still notice and still appreciate even though it does have the slow moments, as you say, I love how then there's just something else. It's like, you're almost like going into another chapter. I I mean, The Hobbit's kind of this way. I mean, when you read it or whatever. And yep. I always like that. Episodic. Yeah, and that's why I said I always liked um, starting at the Death Star and then watching the rest of the movie. And you guys talked about like multiple endings earlier and I was going to say, oh, I always love that. I actually love the multiple endings so to speak, as a kid. And I always loved how, oh yeah, this thing just happened, but now there's another thing. Oh my God, and another thing. And oh God, that was, that was such a good part of this movie that I felt as a kid and I still felt feel as an adult watching it for the thousandth time. Yeah, one of the things that stood out for me with the trash compactor scene and, and a number of scenes in this, it was always there was always little spots where there was a, a touch of creepiness seeping in. Like the little one-eyed beastie there. And uh, earlier in the movie when they're on the sand crawler, you see all those strange little robots. I thought some of those as a kid were uh, kind of creepy as well. And I, I definitely oh, appreciated yeah. that. Oh, yeah. The clown-looking one always freaked me out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then I had the metal scene uh, written down. Metals scene. I feel like I'm saying metal. But I don't know if you guys... if. Isaac, you you had something that you wanted to go before we get there. No, let's go with, let's go with that one first, um, because, well, what don't you like about it? I was gonna say, what's the deal with the metal scene? I, I don't know why it's being so built up. Well, I, I just figured it'd be a good thing to end on for our kind of final oh. topic since it's right at the end of the movie. That's why I didn't know if you guys wanted to wait. <laughs> oh, uh, well, I was going to finally answer Steve's question about Luke Skywalker from way back because I oh, had asked yeah. me uh, that, but. I like how coming back to this. I love how Luke is uh, the eyes of the uh, the audience's eyes, um, where he's supposed to be the yeah. He's not just the naivety one, like the naive kid or farmer guy, but he's yeah. He's I guess he's our window into this world of he's the regular person who longs for adventure uh, and desires you know more than what he has currently on his plate, and so I like how while there is that whininess approach. I feel like it's contrary nature and just like, you know, the universe is against me. And then here's these, you know, colorful cast of characters who uh, aren't that. So Luke's kind of the straight man to everybody else where, you know, they're all, they're all eccentrics. We see, we, you know, get introduced to 3PO and R2 and they're like, you know, two uh, eccentrics and are just like, you know, jabbing at each other at any opportunity. Han Solo is this like the, the more realistic approach guy where he, like, you know, he lives in the real world. He, you know, has, has to deal with the fact that he's got debt and people are coming after his head. And so he'll shoot, you know, just a, a guy while well, pointing a gun at him, obviously. Um, he's got Chewbacca there with him who's co-pilot and also has the ability to just, you know, lop off people's limbs. 
from their body. Uh, we have we have Ben Kenobi, who uh, is this wise mentor character who apparently it turns out without Luke realizing was there's a connection that he has with him again that he uh, knew his father, which was interesting uh, that his father was a Jedi Knight and that Luke has more um, importance I guess a more important history uh, in his in his past, but uh, he's mm. part of a legacy of of something which is cool. Uh, so yeah, he's he's just like as Luke is, just maybe he's normal, regular like if, uh, what is it, white milk toast or whatever you want to call it. It's like I think that's intentional. I think that's what they're going for because it is well as you know Lucas was using an influence as an influence the Joseph Campbell's hero with a thousand faces. So coming back to this, I really appreciate Luke a lot more. And even in just in this film and, you know, to see where he goes from here, obviously that's something else, but definitely there is a character arc uh, of, you know, starting off as a farm boy with, with skill piloting skills at that uh, to, you know, being the one to blow up the entire, the, the entire Death Star at the end. Yay. <laughs> I, I think it's important when talking about this film, kind of the effect it had on culture zeitgeist yeah yeah i think this film has affected everybody on this panel looking forward i mean eric talked about marvel films this film has affected lives and i mean merchandise i mean just look at i mean i there would not be action figures (laughs) i mean there would be but it would not have progressed to to the level collectibles and things like that i I don't think that would have existed without Star Wars. I think it's just an incredible thing that this zeitgeist, as you said, has affected all of us. It's It affected, uh, I mean, things that uh, brought us together for this podcast. Could you imagine if if there's been no effect on, on collectibles, Doctor Who, or... What have you? Yes, I'm drunk now. Um, not as drunk as Sean, because Sean has passed out. But um, I think it's just incredible, this film. I mean, yes, I think with modern eyes, when we watch uh, you, uh, people on YouTube watching it for the first time, y- y- yeah, I mean, it's it's different. But without this initial film, I mean, it's incredible. I mean, I think this, this film has was... Uh, a spark in the kindling of of fandom, if you will. Yeah, maybe moving it outside of the kind of obscure corners, people like meeting in little like Star Trek uh, clubs, you know, the local clubs. This is something kind of bigger. Well, yeah, yeah, and you even notice with the first timers, even though they don't know anything about the story and don't know the names of many characters, once certain things flash on the screen, um, and you know, they go, "Oh, yeah." Oh, so that's a Yoda saying, you know, or that thing I've always heard. Oh, that's what it is. And so, like, they still know, like, so much, even though they literally never watched Star Wars in their life. Um, And so, I mean, Mm -hmm. that speaks to the power of what you're talking about, of how much it influences everything. But, yeah, from this film from 1977, I mean, this was the catalyst. Yeah, and they'll always be like, oh, this is like that thing that happened in John Wick. Oh, this is like in fast and furious i didn't know that came from star wars first like it just goes on forever mm-hmm. yeah and i guess we i guess we'll highlight before i we move on to the yeah getting around to the end 
Um, we haven't talked too much about the iconic uh, cantina scene. And I don't know if there's much to say, but I did always appreciate the variance of aliens there. Just as a way of showing us that, well, this is a much wider universe than we realized. Because I think up to that point in the movie, at least in the theatrical version, we'd only really seen the Jawas and that skeleton of the, the big alien. And the Sand People, yeah. Oh yeah, the Sand People, yes, I forgot about them. But seeing all the various different ones in there, and even though mm -hmm. some of them do just look like kind of cheap masks <laughs> that they threw onto someone, it's still just such an exciting scene for expanding out. Like, oh, there's this universe is so much bigger than this small little desert. I disagree with you on that. I, I think the, the at the time for the special effects with the masks and stuff, I think I thought it looked great. I mean, even on a revisit. Yeah, there's only a couple. And I think they cut out some of them for the... Uh, <laughs> the uh, yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. The Blu-ray one, because some of them in the background do look, yeah, just kind of kind of funny, but... And the devil guy. Yeah, there's a few that just... Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry, just the... the um, what is it? There's, uh, there's some just guys wearing, like, astronaut helmets. Yeah, I always like that, too. They can't breathe the air, Moss Eisley. Or uh, Tatooine. But, um... But yeah, well, I guess just for the the metal scene that I keep highlighting. Actually, wait, sorry, Caleb, I have I have, I have one thing to so, uh, actually to add to uh, the cantina scene. The obvious answer, the obvious technical answer of like, yeah, we really hadn't seen any aliens other than like the sand people. Um, what what you know, like yeah, like how can we see it? The obvious answer is they filmed in Tunisia. No like sane human being is going to wear, you know, all that prosthetics or all those masks in, you know, probably 50 degrees Celsius. So it's like, uh, yeah, they're not going to do that. So yeah, uh, that's why yep. they instead were on a set where hopefully it was climate controlled and nobody would pass out from having to wear all those uh, masks and body well, suits. And you had B. Arthur in the back. With the <laughs> of course, who yeah. can't forget her and, you know, all that stuff. I was gonna say they didn't have they didn't, they couldn't hire any sane people to do it, so that's why they got Anthony Daniels in there to wear the robot costume. <laughs> oh, speaking of <laughs> no. okay, so you want to talk about <laughs> you want to so uh, Steve, you want to talk about special editions as well? This is this was one that always like kind of made me go, huh? Uh, things that made me go, hmm. Which is so we have the we have things that make you go, hmm. Sorry. Oh dear, exactly. Uh, glad you got that reference. Um, but <laughs> I have to. You know, it was it was interesting when I was a kid. I was like, "Oh man, there's blood in this film." After Obi Wan slops a guy's hand off mm. uh, mm. or arm off, excuse me, and you know, there's there's that of like, uh, couldn't he have deescalated? De no, no. After what, throwing Luke, you know, th <laughs> threw Luke across the room. Obviously, that makes sense. But I was I was surprised that there's blood. When, but obviously, again, this is like the first time we didn't know that lightsabers, you know, could cauterize uh wounds so it's like there's a oh, special edition yeah. you know muck, not muck up but there's another thing to add to the special edition list of like right wait especially with lucas you know wanting to i guess either well especially with like a console not having a console would be like a dirty rotten scoundrel for shooting first uh it's weird how he changed the fact that there's or didn't change that there's blood on the floor like what was up with that? Yes, that is a bit weird. I thought he would have wanted to that be removed. Of all the things, yeah, there's like certain things. Like, why didn't he fix that instead of adding Jabba or Jabba? Yeah, yeah it, that's a good point. That's why I would love to have just original cut. I'm sorry, I just, yeah. 
I will not die happy until we get an original. <laughs> it's funny though. I'm actually arguing for the special edition of like, well, how come he didn't do that? I was gonna say uh, in that in that thing. This is something that has never crossed my mind and still doesn't cross my mind. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't feel out of a place to you now, even when it's brought to you. No, not at all. This is no. Just for me personally, this is zero burger every which way. Like, I don't care that there's blood on there. I'm, I'm used to it. Because, you know, every kid gets bloodied at some point in their life. as when, when, And they realize they are. Uh, they got blood on them. But it's like, out of everywhere, it's like, uh, there's a, at least, you know, going further in, uh, there's a continuity error with, like, lightsabers cauterizing wounds. No. Hearing what you're saying, I actually, just speaking for myself, would rather this particular thing just stay as is. Oh yeah, I'm okay I wouldn't feel better. Oh, of course, all of it should. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I mean, I wouldn't feel better if they if they took the blood out. It's neither here nor there because all I need to do is simply um, do a little head retcon, and this species blood doesn't work. The there way is blood works. Uh, there is a retcon. Point. No, but I'm not saying I have. I don't even have to do that because it's not even an issue for me in the first place. But there is a retcon. No, this is just triggering triggering my Doctor Who remembrance of the, the mostly armors cutaway back in the day and the, the head cannon always coming in to clean up Stephen Moffat mistakes. But, but... Oh yeah, but I, I understand, but at the same time I don't even need to do that because I'm fine with it. But keep going, Steve. <laughs> no, there, someone explained it in a way that Pondaboba, I think his name is, I can't remember. Pondababa maybe? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he, he had more of a, a certain biological function that <laughs> would allow for i mean there's sci-fi i mean you could yeah maybe it's not even blood away. maybe it's something else maybe yeah it's alien defense maybe mechanism. it's cum i mean we don't know i was thinking squid ink but sure. maybe he was hiding <laughs> some spice in his sleeve and when it got heated up it all turned to liquid maybe we don't know it's sci-fi yeah. it's possible spice no, but... um Actually, this this time around, when we were in the cantina scene and they were playing jizz, I was actually thinking to myself, "Okay, what playing jizz was John? Is that what they call we've it? We've been over this. Don't. Yes, don't, we've been over it. No, but is that, the, is, that the, is, is that the official Star Wars name for that? Yes, we've been the over official. this. Yeah. Good grief! They don't anyway. remember. They don't remember. Uh-huh. What's it called? Say it again, please. J I Z Z. All right, come music. There we go. Um, but when I mean, this is a quick search. But I'm like, um. Oh, I just I, I do. <laughs> Let me Google this real quick. What is jizz? Don't type in what is jizz. By the way, to type it in with stuff. save search off. No, but I, in all seriousness, like when he was uh, when I was listening. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I'd be straight here, guys. No, that's fine. Um, yeah, but when when they were playing the music, I was trying to. I mean, I, this is a quick Google search, obviously, but I was wondering, like, and, and you know, just finding sheet music. But I was wondering what instruments they were using in that because it's it's really like you know. Um, Bobbity and, and. Do you mean for the recording, or do you mean in the movie? Oh no, just in no, and like recording behind the scenes. Sorry, not in the movie. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Out of movie, like what William, what instruments Williams is using? Using, excuse me, but I'm pretty sure it's well documented. So. Oh my god. Oh, and I'll say I was missing B. Arthur singing over that little piece of music there for it. <laughs> well, watch the holiday special if you want. God, to. I would love. I would love. I would. I would love to play jizz over B. Arthur. I mean, oh, no. Okay. I love uh, this. I love that. I mean, looking at what I Googled, I love this. Jizz was. He Googled jizz on B. Arthur. Jizz was guy. a genre of music. Jizz whalers were musicians who specialized mm-hmm. in the genre. Oh, George. I love this. Jizz was first mentioned in canon 
in Star Wars Return of the Jedi Junior novelization. <laughs> wow. Wow. Put in the kids' book. There you go. It's just uh, the, it was the Disney people working that early in Star Wars. It was definitely Disney. Actually, speaking of that, I got to ask did any of you guys read the novelization to this? No. By Alan Dean Foster? No. Uh, no. I, I did when I was in grade 12. I did. I did, when I, I did when I was like in ninth grade or something. Nice. Because I was looking for more clues about the Clone Wars, and there's a little bit more clues in the original novelization because they drew from one of the earlier scripts. So there yep. was there was like little bits of extra information you didn't. Well, yeah, to. it's a novel. You can add that stuff, which is fine. I just was wondering. So I, yeah, I read it in grade twelve. I want to reread it because it's been a while since I have read it. So but yeah, I, um, I guess I'd recommend it. So you know, just just that. I love this. Um, Alden Enric, the one who played Solo and Solo, um, he mentioned that he read articles on Wikipedia, like when he was studying for the role, taking note of jizz. <laughs> Oh dear, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, it's it's just kooky. <laughs> That's one way to describe it. I found the instruments for you if you'd like to know the. Oh please, yeah. I know there's a clarinet in there somewhere. You are correct. There's also a trumpet, saxophones, Fender Rhodes piano, Caribbean steel drum. Another... Oh, that makes sense. Yep. No, I can hear it now. That's how they did it. Okay, that makes sense. Another drum, an ARP synthesizer for the bass and various other percussion. That's all cool. I just wish there was like a bassoon or oboe in there because one of the instruments kind of looks like a space bassoon. But It does actually, you're right. But oh, yeah. you know. I always thought that since I was in band. But yeah. Anyway, so Isaac, do you have more to say about the novelization? No, I'm good. Uh, okay. Just go read it. I was like, do, do we want to do, like, final thoughts? Yes, getting very close. Yeah, I, I just want to mention about the metal scene. Uh, did you guys feel like when you were a kid that that was kind of corny? Because it always kind of stood out to me that they ended on that. I was like, it's it's nice that they celebrate their heroism, but it always stood out a little bit oddly to me. It never came off as corny to me, but the one thing that definitely bothered me, and they kind of, I guess, brought it up, in the, uh, the sequel films was that Chewbacca never got a, an award. Yeah, yes. <laughs> like that always bothered, that always bothered me. And it was not like a major thing. I think even MTV did a thing in the 90s where they gave Chewbacca an award, but in the sequel trilogy, they they finally oh. gave him one. hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what was that? Uh, but outside of that, I thought it was great. The the music, the, the build-up, um, that was great. I just wish Chewbacca would have gotten. <laughs> I mean, why didn't he get an award? I don't know why. Especially when we were talking about like slave labor at the beginning of the film with the droids. Like he deserves his fucking award. So um, that was my only issue. I never thought it was weird. I always generally liked it as a kid. I always thought it was cool. I liked um, seeing all the human characters like in their new smart dress like solo and obviously luke had the the jacket um Mm -hmm. it's possibly when i personally have thought uh princess leia carrie fisher has looked the hottest in star wars and yeah even more than return of the jedi um always thought it was cool what always loved it i didn't know anything about the uh (laughs) 
the um, Chewbacca metal situation until we got into the Disney era. So, oh really? Yeah, I had no idea until mm. I oh, wow. started to read people talking about that. So that was never a thing. The only issue I ever had with that scene in particular was, you know, I largely grew up on the full screen editions of this movie for a very long time. And I didn't get the widescreen VHS until approximately the year 97. And what the thing that jumped out at me when I finally got to watch it in widescreen again, um, besides seeing additional creatures in the cantina scene, the the mats of of people in the audience or standing on the sides during the throne room scene or the metal scene uh, look incredibly bad um, in the original version. So, yeah, once I got the widescreen, I was like, oh, they got to do something about that. I mean, this is before. I, I'm, well, hmm. oh, the special editions were coming out around the same time, but... I was just, yeah, that looked bad. If anything looked bad in the original cut, that looked bad. So, But other than that, I always liked the scene. Still do. I noticed what you were talking about there, Eric, when I was watching it today. Where, yeah, I saw, like, as they were going down uh, the steps, and then we see, like, some, you know, I guess, troops on the side. Yeah, I noticed that there was, like, they were either painted in or something else. Yeah, they're painted in mats, probably on glass. So... Well, here's okay. Here's my thing. So there's obviously the Chewbacca thing of like, how come he didn't get a medal? What about Wedge? I was thinking like, wait a second, Wedge survived this whole thing. How come he didn't get a medal? Yeah, I agree, but I get it. I get why he wasn't. I mean, if this was a real thing that actually happened, like when we're watching historical documents, then yeah, Wedge should have been up there on the stage. But for in terms of the movie and the audience, it totally makes sense that he's not. Um, I was. You made me think of something else weird. Like, at some point, we, we do see Biggs die in the the the, um, the Death Star run, right? Yep. Oh, he's the last to die, I think, other than, like, the TIE Fighter Trooper. Because even though I've seen this movie a million times, and I just watched it twice in the last 24 hours, to this day, I can't see the moment in my head of when he actually dies, even though I know it's there and it has to be there. Um, so... That's a weird thing that I've watched this a million times, but I don't have that ingrained in my memory. Um, and aside from liking what they did with the throne uh, award medal scene, as far as updating it, I also want to mention the other special edition upgrade that I am a hundred percent in favor of, um, which I think is bigger than that, is just what they did with the dogfighting for the the death star run um that has been Mm. the best improvement in this film and i think it's a definite improvement and i haven't watched the original version in quite some time myself but i know it would bother me that scene or those scenes in particular the dog fighting if i was to go back to the original it still looks okay i think it still looks solid i think it would look okay but i much prefer the special edition well, it's Caleb on that side. Uh, but with the metal scene itself, it's, again, a, I think a callback to the serials uh, of the 30s and 40s of just, like, you know, the, 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 going back to, like, to, to them, it's, like, it, it's the end. Uh, our heroes have stood victorious and now they get medals. But, again, I feel like everybody should get medals unless they already have. Like, 
you know, how come nobody in the, like, the rest of the troops didn't, like, because this is a, like, joint effort. All of a sudden, like, you know, these, unless this is, like, hear me out, unless this is an initi initiation where, like, because of their bravery and stuff like that, they're now, like, part of the Rebel Alliance. Maybe that's not, you know, the, I mean, it's out of nowhere, but, like, yeah, that's <laughs> the one way of maybe seeing it, because out of nowhere, it's like, how come nobody else got medals, as you were saying? Because they all died. I mean, yeah, that's also true. I mean, look, everybody died in that battle. I mean, except except for Wedge and <laughs> yeah, yeah, a few others. A, he's in the hospital right now. That's definitely yeah. true. Yep, yeah, that's what it is. He's in a back to kit, back to tank. Um, but you guys focusing on Chewbacca not getting his medal. I've brought this up before, but you're just making me think about when I quote unquote graduated from elementary school um, in fifth grade. <laughs> Okay, and Eric. all the where's this going? All the fifth graders, we were all there in the auditorium slash. Eric, are you saying you were very hairy? We were. Uh, <laughs> that's it. And seven foot three. We were all there in the uh, the school auditorium slash cafeteria. All the fifth graders, and they called out everyone's name to go up and and get your certificate and everything. And my name was the only name not called um, because because oh. my teacher forgot to make a certificate for me. So that's why they never called my name and I never went up to this. And Yeep. sitting in my seat, I almost thought I was. it was because I had failed elementary school or failed fifth grade. Oh, no. So, so when you guys keep talking about Chewbacca, I'm like, oh, now I feel a little Chewbacca myself. Jeez, you triggered Eric. <laughs> now I'm picturing, a, I'm picturing a giant Chewbacca sitting in a child, a little tiny child's seat. <laughs> Well, Eric, tonight I present to you, Eric, your your medal. <laughs> oh, there you go. Oh, speech, thank speech, you. speech. Thank you, Masconada. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and speaking of speeches, uh, let's uh, move on to our final uh, thoughts for this this feature film, All right. uh, Star Wars. <laughs> All right, starting with Sean. Uh, uh, Steve, Steve, you instead. Um, what's your final thoughts on this film, uh, Star Wars? I think it's a great film if it's a standalone. I think as a uh, the building block of the rest of the Star Wars universe, I think it doesn't make sense. But nonetheless, I love it. I think it's great. I'm very happy. And uh, like I said, I watched it over and over as a kid uh, back in 77 and it 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 has encouraged me to buy mostly pointless shit that doesn't <laughs> mean anything um it, i've made friends i've uh it made me interested in other things that there were sci-fi and so overall the how it affected me as as a person i think it's amazing um, 10 out of 10. Um, if it's, you know, how could it have improved? Is there any places in the story, uh, it could have improved in, or is it all right as its own, uh, as its own story? Again, if it's, if, if it's a standalone thing, I think it's great. Um, if George Lucas, who continually emphatically says it was part of a trilogy pre-planned, blah, blah, blah. I think it fails in that regard. Um, 
but as a standalone, I think it's it's a great film. All right, thank you, sir, Eric. Uh, your final thoughts on this for this recording of Star Wars nineteen seventy seven. Yeah, like I said, it's jumped around throughout my lifetime of where I place it in, in in my overall Star Wars ranking. But at present time, it's definitely much closer to the very top. Not the very top, but very close up there. Um, if I were to rate it, it's a perfect score. Despite it not being a quote-unquote perfect movie, and even though there are things that could have been better or done a little bit differently doesn't matter to me really doesn't those types of things as it pertains to this movie um it's perfectly fine i'd be fine with it as a standalone i'm fine with it in the trilogy i'm fine with it in the overall everything it's just great um and for me anyway um when i when i got to the end of revenge of the sith the first time it just made me feel so much more for this particular movie that I literally had to go home immediately and watch A New Hope after Revenge of the Sith. And when Rogue One came around, that same feeling, but multiplied. Um, So those two movies have actually made me enjoy this movie even more in retrospect. And so, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Um, How... How sorry? How how exactly? Even though it was you know nominated for best picture, I believe uh, in that in the seventy eight, I believe is that correct? Which uh, I did not realize until today. It had was it ten nominations at the Oscars, and it took home seven. I recall, yeah. uh, rightly so, with some of the you know post post production stuff. Like I think best sounds, uh, best editing as well. Um, I don't know if best like score. I sh- I feel like it should have won best score. I don't remember if it did or not, but like, um, and I think Alec Guinness was up for like best supporting actor as well. So this thing, yeah, this thing actually had a war. I'm just wondering, like, how could it have, you know, achieved Criterion status? How could it have, you know, been looked at in alongside, you know, like not equivalent, of course, but how could it have gotten like, you know, Stanley Kubrick's, you know, seal of approval? Well. I think it probably does now after the fact, okay. after the fact, but okay. this often happens when something is so groundbreaking in film that even though some recognize it right out the gate, it, it usually takes time for that to yeah. really settle in. And I think um, it's crazy. Cause again, I didn't even really realize until today that it was nominated for best picture. Um, and then he lost out to Annie Hall, a movie that Caleb loved when we talked about it and it makes sense to me in its time that Annie Hall would win, but that's, I I definitely don't think that's how things would play out if we had a do over today. What else? Do you know what other um, things were up for, uh, up for the best picture in that or in that year? Excuse me. I did, but I can, I can find out. Okay, I'm just wondering. I'm, I'm just trying to like legitimize and say like, was this uh, was this whole like you know, film a complete fluke or does it have legitimacy even nowadays? That's that's my that's my question. Well, I definitely think it 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 gets all the accolades nowadays in in people's minds, but um, it's gonna take me a second. Yeah, Isaac, he's always. He's always trying to stretch these things as long as he can. I don't. I don't get it. Well, that and I admit, I, I apologize. I'm not trying to stretch it out. I'm trying to also like get to the bottom of this. No. Oh God. I'm sorry. It's gonna take me a second. I swear, Caleb. I'm not trying to keep this going on for much longer. I'm just like 
all of a sudden now I have uh, the opportunity to. Um, anyway, but uh, other than that, I guess like uh, so. Get, put a pin in that. Eric will come I'm back to you after five seconds. Okay. Okay. It was Annie Hall, the Goodbye Girl, Julia, Star Wars, and the Turning Point. And I couldn't tell you anything about any of those movies except for Annie Hall and Star Wars. Okay, fair enough. Um, thank you, sir, for your uh, conclusion there. Caleb, uh, your final thoughts for this recording of Star Wars 1977. Still just as iconic as ever. Um, yeah, I, I just enjoy going back to it. It's not one that I ever pull out, you know, I maybe pull it out like every five, six years. And I definitely enjoy it. It's like seeing an old friend. But then I'm happy to put it back on the shelf and not return again for, yeah, that same amount of time. It's I get much more out of um, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, even though Jedi is a weaker film. I just feel like there's a little bit more there for me to sink my teeth in. This is just kind of a fun adventure story, and uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a classic for a reason, but not not one of my favorite uh, classics. If that makes sense. That's fair. <laughs> I see your point now. I was like, oh, I think I see what Caleb means by like, you know, if this is like the first attempt, I could see why he likes Empire a lot more because it certainly goes further with these characters, which, uh, yeah, you're, you're definitely right. Yeah. Do you think like, you know, is this film still stand up to its like, is it still uh, relevant or is it like, you know, stand the test of time or uh, just as its own or has all the merchandise kind of you know, overbloated it, and it's actually, like, a terrible film. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> no, not not at all. <laughs> um, but what I will say is I think the legacy of Star Wars more belongs to Empire and Return of the Jedi than this movie. I think those two being, especially Empire Strikes Back, being as great as it was, I think is what fully cemented the legacy of the, the original trilogy. If this was just what it was, it would be looked back as kind of a quaint, fun sci-fi adventure movie i i don't think it, it would stand on its own as well if it didn't have that that great follow-up yeah i was i was kind of thinking the same thing uh thinking about what steve had said earlier if star wars was a standalone yeah that would have been fine but then you, you can't subtract empire because empire just yeah what caleb just said yeah i agree with that but how about you isaac how, how what's your final uh, summations for this yeah this feature here Thank you, sir. Um, yeah, good grief. I enjoy this movie a lot. I enjoy the performances from everybody. Um, I like the characters. I wish there was more uh, interactions with the characters. Uh, I like that there were some moments where they had time to breathe, but they, yeah, this moment, uh, this movie felt like light speed to me when I came back to it, hence why I uh, limit myself to certain uh, watches of it uh, over several years because... I just feel like yeah, it's a, it's a it's a fine wine. This thing is aged like wine. Um, even the effects, some of the effects definitely you know look the, of the day. I appreciate them. I appreciate how quaint they are, and there was a lot of time and energy put into uh, all the effects. Um, and geez, yeah, the the ending as well. I, with just like I appreciate this film as well. Coming back to it after watching and doing you know our little road to Star Wars. Uh, retrospective with those, you know, t- two of Lucas's prior films. Yeah, it is an ev- like it is maybe like the. I think this is like the end of his trilogy, 
this is the end of Lucas's trilogy with, uh, if we start at THX 1138 to American hmm. Graffiti, then to this. This is the culmination of both those films. Uh, not as much characterization as we got in American Graffiti, but definitely, again, Lucas's, um, I guess, interest in technology and, geez, yeah, not just like, you know, with cameras, but just like with technology itself, what he does with that in THX. And then, like, you know, at the end, we have, like, a race in a way, but it's not a race. It's a race to, you know, blow up the Death Star. We didn't talk about, uh, you know, the whole exhaust port trench, trench run scene. But honestly, I think it works really well. And even within the movie's logic, there's no, like, oh, how come the Empire didn't realize this? It's, like, because there was two times. There's two attempts. There's two setups as to, like, you know, we had the, the bombers go in and they were shot down by Vader. Then when they were right there, when they actually got to it, um, even the computer itself could not, like, you know, get the things in there. So, obviously, it was set up perfectly throughout the whole film that it was the force that was going to need to be used to get it in there. So, it's like, I think there's, like, no retcons or there's no, like, plot holes there. That's just me, personally. But, no, just in the in the end, just with, like, you know, the, the, the big Death Star battle, uh, I love how it is just, like, a extension of, like, George's passion when it came to racing cars. It was just that further on. It was the ending of THX with him like, you know, and the speed and THX himself just in like, you know, the, the cruiser or whatnot. That was, that was a lot of fun seeing the evolution of that. Um, yeah. What more can I say? Just, I, I just, I do wish that I hope that this film is legitimized and not seen as some schlocky B movie and actually has some meat to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's legacy is, is proven to be uh, quite strong and yeah, there's, there's definitely more substance than yeah, like a schlocky, like maybe one of the knockoffs, like uh, like I mentioned Star Crash or or something like that. Um, but we should probably round it down now. It's it's getting it's getting pretty long in the tooth this one. So Isaac, uh, I thank you again for 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 joining me and and Eric, uh, uh, Steve and and Sean over there. I thank you guys for once again coming back for this series and and Isaac, uh, bring bring us home, bring us home. Well, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, those in between and affiliated for listening to us. Uh, and till next time, peace. Peace.